This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, October 18th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior. America. Steak. For breakfast. So stand by. Tell the world I'm coming home. Let the rain wash away all the pain of yesterday. I know my kingdom awaits. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use go to steak for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Always cranking out big, big savings at MyPillow. Right now, they've got a little bit of a bath edition going on. My robes, my slippers, Air Lindell's version 1 and 2, Pacal bed sheets, and Giza Dream everything. You get a promo code steak at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings. For more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bag, via the bean, even in the pod. You know, promo code steak there, you're going to get 25% off mypillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related and mystore.com forward slash steak for anything coffee related. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, coming home, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company, hand-rolled Nicaraguan tobacco for a long, enjoyable smoke, even better toke. Delicious. There you go. You get a promo code stick at checkout. You're getting 15% off. Any order over $100 is free shipping and a $10 e-gift card with every purchase. MyPatriotCigarCompany.com is the website. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs to blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. You can find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakforBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, and to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Gator and True Social. Welcome, Tuesday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 179. I'm Roan, Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's going to be joining us in just a bit. Guys, we've got a great show lined up. One of our favorite candidates, 
Georgia 10 Republican nominee, now Trump-endorsed Mike Collins, will be here. Dang. We're going to be sitting down with Jake Denton from the uh, Heritage Foundation and J.W. Gibbons of the Daily Caller. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. You know, that Mueller ethos emanated, I'm, I'm sure, from his own personal code, but also post 9-11. And I worked in the administration in which he served as FBI director. And what he sort of gave birth to in the lexicon was we, the FBI would never again, first of all, fail to sync up with the CIA and all sorts of artificial and, and real walls were torn down. And they would never again fail to connect the dots. I've not heard one utterance of connecting the dots from Christopher Wray in the days after the deadliest attack on the U.S. Capitol in our, you know, in history. Nicole, I think that's right. And I think if you look at the scale in terms of the threat to democracy, I mean, 9-11 was a tragedy. We lost thousands of lives in a horrific way that we still mourn to this day. But when you look at something that is an attack no, no on democracy, something that could actually bring about a fundamental change to American governance as we understand it, 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6th. And the fact that the FBI and the rest of the government, if they are not on the same sort of war footing that we were on, in the weeks and months and years after 9-11, shame on everyone. Shame on that fucking guy. Fuck that. So that was disgraced Ugh. former FBI agent Peter Strzok yesterday on what a race baiting shit. Nicole Wallace's show on MSNBC, not only comparing January 6th to 9-11, but saying that 9-11 masks in comparison to what happened. Honest with you. I'm kind of retarded. The fact of the matter that that guy still gets to go around and say stuff like that. Um, like, who, who, like, who didn't, be like, stop him? Like, was that a live segment? Oh, she, yeah, she was loving it. It was on her show that's on in the evening. Jeez. So, yeah. I would be like, let me stop you there, asshole. For a moment. Whose show was it? It was Nicole Wallace. Okay. Yeah, former Republican congressional mm. and uh, White House staffer turned MSNBC darling. But, mm. uh, you know... Me and Cash Patel, so I started getting texts from him yesterday in the afternoon, and it was like he wanted me to post stuff about uh, the book that's coming out. And uh, I said, I'll trade you one. So I tagged and uh, struck and Wallace on Twitter, and I said, I'm already lighting them up here. Somebody sent me on True Social the uh, memorandum of Peter Strzok getting fired, and I commented oh, that was good. on that post with it. And then I made up one for True Social and, and downloaded and shared the video there, and then Cash shared it, and it kind of went viral. So we just need more people to see, like, for those of us in, in our listenership, and, and thanks for joining us today, that, that are not seeing this stuff on a regular basis, the reason we bring it to you is because it's literally out there, and there are, unfortunately, hundreds of thousands of people that watch and listen to this garbage on a regular basis. So we just need to uh, keep in mind, you know, not only is the January 6th the dead and deflated narrative, but these people are, are keeping it on life support by, by going around and just propagating bullshit like that. And yeah. it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and, you know, man, I wish I could catch that guy on the street. I can't, I forget what I was, let me see. I was texting with cash yesterday and I said, Aww. take him behind the gymnasium and hey, me. <laughs> yeah. It was just, you know, I, I was saying, uh, he called him a bunch of fucking jackals and said like, uh, write it up in truth and sling it to me. I'll reshare it. Yeah. How did, how do you say something like that? And uh, how do you possibly say anything that even resembles that? Yeah, Christina Bob said it was absolutely loathsome, loathsome as yeah, well. That's awful. And uh, you know, I said I can't wait to uh, eventually say it to his fucking face. And he's like, "Bro, you and me both." So it, it, it's one of those things where I mean, we just gotta understand. CNN didn't do 
much better job of, of carrying on their January 6th bullshit narrative. Let's hear, instead of talking about anything that's related to anything that services the American people, this is what they let off on their uh, early evening show with yesterday. That committee uh, just ended its last hearing, before the midterms at least, by voting to subpoena former President Trump. I want you to listen to one of the members, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger, over the weekend. Republican. Mm. And do you believe that the Justice Department, if the president refuses, should hold him in criminal contempt? Look, that's a that's a bridge we cross if we have to get there. Um, you know, look, we well recognize the fact that uh, because of the committee only being able to exist till the end of this congressional year, because that was the uh, the mandate, uh, we're at a bit of a time limit here. So, Ellie, the committee has time constraints. Is there a deadline for Trump to give a definitive answer about whether he'll comply with the subpoena? So, Anna, that is up to the committee itself. Remember, the committee voted last week that they will subpoena Donald Trump, but they've not actually issued the subpoena itself yet. When they do, it will say you have until such and such date to comply. Do we know if Donald Trump will comply yet? It certainly seems like he won't, given that wild 14-page statement that he issued last week. If he does not comply, then the committee will have two options. First, they can pursue civil litigation. They can go to a federal judge, ask for an order requiring Donald Trump to testify. As Adam Kinzinger just said, though, they likely do not have enough time to do that. Or the committee can refer the case over to the Justice Department for potential criminal contempt of Congress charges. And then the decision will be up to the Justice Department. Now, this has happened four times already in this case. Two of those, one was Steve Bannon, who we were just talking about. He was charged. He's been convicted, coming up on sentencing. DOJ also chose to charge Peter Navarro. He's coming up on his trial next, uh, next month. But DOJ decided not to charge the other two, Mark Meadows and Dan Scavino. So Ooh. if the committee goes Friend this the route, show, Anna, ultimately it will be up to DOJ whether to bring contempt charges. Okay, contempt is one thing, but could Trump be looking at broader criminal liability in the wake of the committee's hearings? over his attempt to steal the 2020 election? She's like, election? please, say something. Well, Liz Cheney certainly thinks so, Anna. She oh. sent a pointed message to the Justice Department in that last hearing last week when she said, quote, our nation cannot only punish the foot soldiers who stormed the Capitol. The oh. implication there, of course, is that DOJ and other prosecutors need to look, of course, at the people who stormed the Capitol, but also the real power sources. And so the emphasis, the focus is now going to shift over from the committee to, of course, the United States Department of Justice under Merrick Garland. And don't forget the Fulton County District Attorney down in Georgia, Fonnie Willis. We know both of them have investigations going. We've seen signs that those investigations are expanding and getting closer to Donald Trump's inner circle. We know that these prosecutors have either subpoenaed or interviewed or are negotiating with some key witnesses, Cassidy Hutchinson, Pat Cipollone, Mark Short, Mark Meadows, all of whom had some interaction with the January 6th committee. First, on a quick note that's important here about timing, because midterms are only three weeks away, we're not gonna see any major politically charged indictments or charges between now and then. But Mm -hmm. once midterms happen, all the focus is gonna be back on these two prosecutors. Beyond the January 6th related investigations, Trump has plenty of other legal worries as well. So walk us through those. 
He has a full legal plate. In addition to what we've talked about, there is the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation, mm. which oh. continues. That could result in criminal charges against Donald Trump oh. or others. That'll be up to the Justice Department. The New York State Attorney General, Letitia James, brought that fraud lawsuit. That's a civil case. That's not a criminal case against Donald Trump, alleging that he used fraud, fraud business or practices. Fraud. E. Jean Carroll, oh. the writer, has sued Donald Trump for defamation, oh. and that suit is progressing now. And finally, there are a bunch of January 6th civil lawsuits by police police officers, by oh. members of Congress, oh. seeking damages, money damages against Donald Trump. So he's got an awful lot in front of him oh. in terms oh. of oh. criminal and potential civil liability, Anna. Love it. <laughs> That's CNN's cold open. Wow. Yesterday evening. Oh, wow. oh, my gosh. It's just like, hang on. Let's, no, let's, we're going to talk about so the hard. Yeah, <laughs> let's see how it works out for them, Cotton. She's like, well, it doesn't sound like the January 6th narrative is going anywhere. Let's bring out the dartboard and read us every single thing that's going yeah. on in Donald Trump's legal life. What uh, if they accidentally read? And then there's the whole Russian collusion. Oh, wait. Oh, that was us. <laughs> you know, we, we heard him mention, too. Some who left the, that on the list? Some of the players there, like Cassidy Hutchison, who made up the fake beat up the Secret Service agents narrative, and then Pat Cibolone, who was chief of White House counsel, uh, legal counsel, who did absolutely nothing in the events following uh, after, um, you know, the 2020 presidential election. So it just seems like, uh, you know, this is what they're doing to try and kind of disconnect anybody that's worried about things that are going on in their own personal lives, whether it's in regards to the economy or energy prices, the job market, repressed wages, uh, crime in the areas that they live, if they live into a major city. And then, you know, remind us of stuff like January 6th was, according to former disgraced FBI agent Peter Strzok, um, you know, worse than anything that's ever happened in the history of the galaxy. And, uh, you know, kind of keep it on, on everybody's front burner with things like abortion there's got to be outrage on both sides for him Donald saying that Trump shit. mentions him but he says the lovers it's the best thing yeah the lovers that whole i'm talking figuratively now seventh floor of the fbi building needs to be nuked after this midterm election they really need to start rolling oh, out yeah. every single person that's working there and putting them for congressional hit uh, committees I, I can't wait to see jim jordan chair of the house judiciary and it's going to be amazing to see who steps in on the republican side to fill devin nunez's chair of the house intelligence committee as well Surprisingly enough, on ABC yesterday, um, well, Roy Rogers enjoyer, mm. Chris Christie. I still think that was one of Donald Trump's best truths ever. Someone like took a picture of him and Roy Rogers like loading up his like roast beef and, and cheeses with mayonnaise and his backs to the camera, and so it got to Donald Trump and he just <laughs> reposted it with some shitful comments that was like completely demeaning to him. Because you know Chris Christie wears his his pants up around his nipples. Oh yeah, and, and, and he probably checks in at about five bills. But but he he was actually on ABC this weekend, uh, you know, talking about this whole January 6th narrative and, and believe it or not, his commentary actually surprised me. I had to go back and rewind it. I think two things. One, I think the January 6th committee, despite some of the really good work they've done, and I agree with Julie on some of the bringing out of facts that they've done, was resigned to having a credibility problem because of the membership of the committee and the way that was done. And so there are lots of Republicans across this country who just say, there's nobody there to argue the other side. Kinzinger and Cheney don't argue to the other side to the extent that there is some arguments there. 
Um, there's, no, what, there's no there's no other side. Look, I think the, I think that you can question a lot of these witnesses who came up, and and test their credibility, Donna. Bill Barr, uh, well, you don't uh, test the credibility of the former wait, listen, attorney general. You, you don't test the credibility you know of the people who were inside the there, Oval there, Office. There are a lot of advising people, the president. You're going to test the credibility. Donna, you just keep talking. Uh, you want no, me no, to seriously, you want me to What is the other side? You, you can test the credibility of people, and by doing that. It can give them more credibility, but instead, they're it's a TV production. Yeah, you're going to test the credibility of the cops no, who no, got no, their heads smashed no, in. No, no, that's that, not. That's who you're no, going to that, test. No, that's not who I'm testing, Donna. But there are lots of people inside the White House who now have convenient memories about things that didn't have memories about them before. You can ask questions about that. But the second point is this that the reason this isn't breaking through with voters in 2022 is because Donald Trump's not on the ballot. Fact. Mm. You know, in the end, what the January 6th committee has made this all about is Donald Trump and his role in January 6th. Absolutely appropriate to make it about that. But when he's not on the ballot, it's very hard for Democrats to be able to make this a cutting issue, especially in the light of huge inflation, gas prices, crime in the streets, open borders, drug overdoses. Those things are things that are affecting people's everyday lives, and they don't see it that way. Now, if Donald Trump's on the ballot in 2024, then this becomes a whole different... No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Excellent save to still be a piece of shit, Chris Christie. And, uh, you know, but I, but I thought it was good. And, and listen, nobody likes to hear fake news, Donna Brazil, and then George Stephanopoulos is the host of that show. It's called, like, ABC's This Week. It should be in parentheses in fake news because they were literally just trying to spin it that way. But he he does make some valid points, and it's ones that just about every single uh, candidate who's running the midterm election has talked about on the show, every single influencer as well, that those narratives and the fact that Donald Trump is not physically on this year's ballot, even though his name is literally all over it, mm-hmm. are just not resonating with people when they leave their house. And uh, maybe even in their house, because you're talking about home energy costs, uh, cable and internet that might not be running as efficiently as they had been in years past because you can't pay for them. Yep. And, uh, you know, empty cabinets and retarded children and <laughs> crying out of control. So, hey, I'll be the first one to to, to admit it. My kids were, were definitely affected by uh, the COVID lockdowns, especially in California, where we were one of the last to go back to in-person learning. And, and every teacher in my kid's school was put out like a disclaimer on the kids' report cards. Oh, yeah, there's a big deficiency. It's not in our fault they're retarded. Uh, yeah, we, we can't uh, figure out what it is, but for some reason they can't do all the things we didn't do during at-home learning that uh, we expect them to do in class now just by osmosis. Weird. So, but, you know, as we... Leave this narrative in they the all, rear They view. all click the right buttons. They all click the right answers eventually. Yeah, and you, you click the button until you hit the right one. But as we leave this narrative in the rear view and, and head towards, uh, well, we're going to have our first guest in here. We're going to be hitting the midterms extremely hard in our first news segment. But first, we're going to talk with one of our favorite guests and uh, someone who's looking to head up to the house on Capitol Hill after the November elections. All right, joining us first on the show today, he is the America First Trump-endorsed Republican nominee, Georgia 10, one of our great friends. We've tracked his journey from the start of this election cycle till here we are three weeks out from Election Day. Mr. Mike Collins, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. Man, talk about a whirlwind experience this election cycle has been for you. I don't even, you know, we, we had John once right after the primary, but, uh, you know, now here we are very close to Election Day. You're just charting miles. I'm telling you what, you're going to need a new transmission on that semi-truck by the time this is all over, let me tell you. But, uh, man, it's just been a, a crazy experience. How are things going on your end? What's new on the road and on the campaign trail? 
and you know, if you, if we would have been sitting here a little over two years ago and uh, just having a conversation, I never thought that I would be sitting right where I'm at today, uh, about to become a, 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 a new member of Congress. Uh, we're going to win our race here in the 10th district and uh, joining a group of people that will make up over 70% of the House Republican Caucus will be America First Agenda candidates. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. You know, they figure over, it, as a matter of fact, depending on how big of a majority this thing gets, it, we will be at least 70, but possibly 72% of the people will have been elected since 2016, all the way up to this November the 8th. And and I can't tell you how neat that is going to be to just be a part of that. Uh, and, and we're out there right now, as you said, uh, we're charting miles. Um, we're, we're, we are still campaigning in the 10th district, obviously. I've got to speak here shortly and spoke over the weekend and and last week here in my district, but uh, we'll be leaving out again. We're, we're headed to, uh, to Ohio. We're headed to New Hampshire. Uh, we're headed out west uh, towards Arizona. And uh, then we've got a district here in Georgia, Georgia 2, which we will take out a 30-year Democrat out of that seat. We're going to beat Sanford Bishop up in uh, Georgia's too, and I, I can't wait to uh, to serve with Chris West and with the other great American patriots across this country. Yeah, there's a lot of them in the state of uh, North Carolina, to say the least. I mean, uh, there, there's there's quite a good slate going on there, and uh, all the way up from the senatorial candidate, who some new polling numbers came out today, even internal ones show him up uh, by six points, and then a great slate of House candidates, including yourself. You did mention traveling a little bit. We we saw one of our great friends, a frequenter of our show as well, J.R. Majewski. You spent a little time with him not too long ago. How was that experience? It was good. That uh, Jr. is always a good uh, person to team up with. I love his pronoun. As a matter of fact, I, I, I did steal his pronoun, and I and I tell him that every time I see him. But ass kicking patriot. That uh, that's got a great ring to it. And uh, you know, it was a little cold up there. I couldn't believe it. I told those folks I come back up there into that uh, Cleveland area again. I'm bringing my long johns because <laughs> 60 degrees is cold for this old Georgia boy. Nice. You, you did say you'd be making some trips out to New Hampshire and Arizona as well. Who are you going to be stumping with when you hit the road? Well, we're we, we're we're slated to get up and uh, and help uh, Caroline Levitt. She's great. Uh, in, in New Hampshire, uh, Eli Crane. I don't know if you if you're familiar with Eli. Yeah, he's been uh, on the show in Arizona a bunch of times. Okay. He's, yeah, he's one of good. our great guests. Yeah, he's a good guy. Good. He he is a good guy. He's a great guy. So the, we're going to get out there and help him. While we're out there, you know, we're going to throw out a few uh, good shout outs for Blake Masters. And uh, and see what we can do there. He he's going to win Arizona. I think we're going to pick up Arizona. I, I, Georgia Herschel Walker is going to win this race. How, um, the, how how impressed were you with his debate performance the other day? There were so many of the larger pundits out there over the course of the last few months who were really nervous about him getting up on the big stage and hitting you know the issues when asked impromptu. However, he had been on the show three times already. He's going to come back one more time before the election, and <laughs> and we tell every single person that that every time he comes up, listen, we have done 15, 20 minute interviews with Herschel Walker. 
We don't script any of our questions. I mean, we just kind of ask, like, okay, here's an issue. Here's a hot topic. Here's something on your... And he was always extremely thorough. He knew exactly what was going on. And he always ties it back to how it affects the hard-working, blue-collar, middle-class people in Georgia, which I think is is really what's resonating with his Senate campaign right now. And, uh, man, he hammered a sitting senator in in so many different areas. And and when you stick to the voting record and your alignment with Biden-era politics, uh, it's kind of hard to get a W out of any kind of debate. Yeah, that that part of it, I would say, is is easy, especially with the economy and and, and the fact that no matter where they try to position these races, it always comes back to people's back pocket issues, you know, be it gas or food or fuel. It doesn't matter. Uh, It's it's the economy is always going to be at the end of the day what plays out the hardest. But with people like Herschel Walker, like myself, like even like J.R. Majewski, you think. You know, is the the uh, Republican caucus has labeled us as the blue collar policy freshman class, and and I think that hits the nail on the head. From everybody, from the walk of Herschel Walker to me, we are just everyday average people that have never been in politics, never been elected, but we have been over on the other side of the ledger, getting beat to death, getting pummeled with taxes or regulations, whatever it is. And we can take that experience and we can talk to it and we can talk normally and to what our experience is and what we want to see done in Washington. And I I swear, I think that's just what's resonating all across this country because you're seeing people like Herschel Walker that uh, like he's, he could probably tell you too, never would have thought that he would be in this position today. But, uh, but that experience and that walk of life of us taking our careers and our business, just putting it to the side, and going and serving this country, and that's what's winning the day. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I say it metaphorically, but it, it, it's the reality of it. Candidates like yourself, like Herschel Walker, Jeremy Juski, those candidates out in you know Arizona as well, ones all across the country. The Republican people who are who are really resonating and rising to the top of the polls in this 2022 midterm cycle are some of the most touchable candidates we've ever had in our lives. There's always kind of like a barrier between like real politics, like the people you see every day up on Capitol Hill, and then, you know, the people who run these races on the ground. And you guys have, like you said, parlayed being a hardworking, blue-collar, middle-class business owner and turning that into a race. Well, you're running your race like you ran your business, and part of your business means meetings, it means deadlines, it means bottom lines. And you're going out there and you're talking to a whole bunch of people who aren't, meeting those deadlines or bottom lines at home right now. And you're really allowing them to, uh, you know, explain to you what needs to be done. And, and you've made that a lot of, you know, huge part of your platform all the way from the beginning. You said, you know, Trump era policies were ones that were, uh, strongest. The America first platform is one that was the strongest when our country was really thriving. And, uh, it seems like after this two year experiment of whatever's going on up on Capitol Hill right now, the American people, especially those in places like Georgia 10 are absolutely fed up with it. Oh, they are. They're fed up with it. And, and, and even if you do bounce off the economic issues, you know, you don't have to look any further than, than what's been going on at our border with this immigration invasion that we've had and, and the thugs and the criminal criminals that have been coming across this border just unfettered and, and, and the drugs and human trafficking that they've been bringing with them has made every state in this country a border state. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's resonating out there. You know, you look at the amount of, of criminal activity that, that that border issue has, has just allowed to fester even. And then you take on top of that, the things like BLM and Antifa 
and and criminals uh, feel empowered today. And then you've got Democrats that are out there talking about cashless bail. Yep. And uh, and and we're having officers, law officers, getting shot and killed almost on a daily, weekly basis. Uh, we've got to get law and order back into control, and people see that. And one of the first, very first places you start with is with that southern border that we have down there, and securing that border, finishing that wall, and getting some law and order back in this country. Yeah, I don't know if you had saw it, but it, the news just broke yesterday that there are reports out of the Department of Homeland Security that some internal whistleblowers are reporting. Uh, the head of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, uh, Secretary Magnus, uh, has either not been showing up for, shown little interest into anything with the border, or literally sleeping through high-level meetings. The New York Post broke the story yesterday, and uh, I thought it's... Uh, you know, absolutely ridiculous, the, the stuff that's going on down there, the overworkment, the amount of people coming in, the drugs, the human trafficking, sex trafficking, the stuff that's going on with the children. Yeah. I, I don't know if we told you before, but we looked into some of the numbers. There have been more suicides in Border Patrol and CBP in the last three years than there was a decade before it. And, uh, you know, the amount of COVID deaths that, that happened from being exposed to, uh, you know, pretty much undaunted uh, challenges down there during the pandemic when the Department of Homeland Security didn't slow anything down at the border. They actually sped it up when the rest of the country shut down and uh you know that that those those men and women that serve down there they're really beat up and they're looking for some answers out of their congressmen come this january you know they're beat up and they weren't supported yeah. uh you take those those two border agents on those horses and uh they, they were accused of whipping people and and it was nothing but a media hype and and it's just a lack of support for and, and 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 it's sad that you have those type of numbers out of out of border patrol people. They don't deserve that. They they deserve to have we they deserve us to have their back. And, uh, and but I, I can tell you, I can assure you one thing: the people we're out there campaigning with, the people that we see out there with the enthusiasm that we see going on, uh, their support's coming. They just just hang on because support is coming, help is coming, and we will get law and order back into this country again. I completely agree with you there. If there's not a slate of candidates coming in that are really going to push back on this narrative and get that border shut down and secure once and for all, it, it all starts, I think, in this January. Mike, one of the biggest things I'm sure that affects uh, Georgia voters right now, it's the amount of American wealth that's been lost over the course of the last two years, uh, mm. over $12 trillion, close to $13 trillion overall. You know, the average American family is losing anywhere between the 40s and, and $55,000 of their either personal income, you know, retirement, 401ks, and, and things of that nature. Getting the Inflation Reduction Act repealed is something that's caught a lot of steam over the course of the last few weeks, even so much so as, as uh, KJP has had to push back on it in the White House press things because so many reporters are asking about it. Do you see yourself getting on board with something to, uh, you know, getting that so much? When you look at it, it could be anywhere from 10 to $100 trillion in wasteful spending over time. Just when you put all the, you know, the Green New Deal stuff that's interwoven in there is unregulated and we have no idea where it could go spending wise. But with all the other stuff that's going on in the shape of the nation right now, do you see that something as you're working uh, hard with your fellow congressmen to repeal come January? You know, you man, you, you, you throwing me right in my wheelhouse now. And, uh, and, and two things about that. It's, it's, I had a fella, I guess I gave my first uh, political speech when I got in this race a year and a half ago, whenever it was. And, uh, and it was with a group of financial people and I, was, I and I told them about what I saw coming, which was an economic disaster and, and a recession on the, on the forefront. And we got through one of their economic people came up to me and said, I can't believe that you got into this race and that's what you're talking about. 
And I said, well, you don't understand. I'm in trucking. <laughs> and I already see how this movie is going to play out. I know how this is going to end. I've seen this before. And uh, that Inflation Reduction Act, you're right, was a piece of junk. It's a wasteful spending bill. And and from ever since I got past the primary and the runoff, people have been asking me, what committee would you like to serve on, Mike? And right out of the gate, I'd love to be on appropriations committee because you've got two committees in Congress that deal with what I call business. You've got your ways and means, which is your revenue generators. They, they handle all your taxes. And then you've got your appropriations, which handles the expenses. And, and we have, we, we don't have a tax problem in this country. Y'all we got a spending problem. Yeah. And I want to be a part of cutting that spending and we cut that spending. We get these bureaucrats back under control. We lower the regulations and make incentives to where people bring their manufacturing back to this country. You're going to see this economy turn around. You're also going to have to bring China in line. You're also going to have to get your energy independence back. These are things that we have been saying over, sound like a broken record for over 12 months. And it's not that hard. You just need people up there that are willing to do it, who have no other agenda and who are definitely not left-wing lunatics like what we've had running the show up there. And, uh, and, and we can get this debt back under control. Man, it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be without some pain, but, uh, but you need some good, solid, hardworking people up there that have felt the, what it's been like to be on the other side of the ledger for a number of years. No, that's, that that's it right there. It's it's the ones who are willing to put into work and do the hard stuff. Admit to the American people, like right now we're in a bad spot, but here are some uh, plausible solutions that we're going to be working comprehensively to do. Mike, another thing I want to touch with you on, I know you've weighed in on it a little bit. I've seen you comment on your social media. Some of the stuff that's going on with the FBI right now, you know, whether it be like the January 6th committee or the stuff that went on you know, still to this day with Russiagate and the Durham investigation, we're seeing that there are a lot of internal issues there, especially at the highest levels, namely the seventh floor of the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. right now. It seems like no matter how far we get separated from 2015, 2016, the same actors, same players, same names are continuing to be involved. And it looks like they were just kind of doing a free-for-all over there on the behest of the American people. And now we're even seeing that, like, you know, we had Devin Nunes on our show on Friday, and he talked about uh, the, the amount of money that was put out and offered to some of these people to essentially make up stuff about Donald Trump in the 2016 presidential election cycle. And he said those are comparable bounties to those they would put on international terrorists. And, uh, you know, this is the stuff that's going on at the uh, expense of the American people, at the behest of the taxpayer dollars, and uh, it seemed to be unregulated by this current Congress. Maybe it's just because of the numbers, or maybe they've, you know, accepted it as the status quo, but obviously there's a lot of people in this country who are looking for change. What are some of the things you're looking forward to, number one, get to the bottom of it, and then number two, probably have some major reforms over there at the FBI? You know, we've been out here talking about three things in particular right now which this Congress could do. As a matter of fact, I'd say the next Speaker of the House has the opportunity to be the most uh, powerful, incredible speaker to go down in the history of this country. If he'll make sure the Republicans hold the line, make people accountable, set goals, do big legislation, and oversight, yeah, oversight in every committee. You know, Congressman Nunes, when, they, uh, when he was in Congress, uh, they actually um, subpoenaed, I can't remember what they were, what they were investigating, but, but the, uh, the departments wouldn't send anybody over to, to, to testify. And they were able to, to fence what they call fencing 
uh, through appropriations and took those people's payroll right out, made it zero. Well, by God, they started answering and showing up the next day. And that's what we've got to have. We can, If we can get oversight and we can get legitimate oversight and start investigating in all these committees, because you're going to see some impeachments. I think Mayorkas needs to go. Yeah. Garland, I'm not so sure Garland hasn't actually sidelined or fired Durham. I don't know. I know. But, but we need to have, we need investigations, not just on the DOJ, top to bottom, but we need it on a woke military. Yep. My gosh. Instead of teaching people how to protect and defend this country and shoot and shoot arms out there, we're out there teaching them pronouns, you know, and, and, and we need to look at these big tech corporations that have been out there for, for years trying to, to be the public square, but then on the sideline and in the backgrounds, affecting how our elections turn out. So we need oversight. Nunes and them showed the way uh, when he was in there. And uh, we just need to pick that ball right up from there and, and keep going with it. Yeah, I'm hoping when uh, Jim Jordan heads the Judiciary Committee and uh, you get some, a couple other good ones on the Senate Intelligence Committee, they could probably meet in the middle and uh, pull the the rug off of uh, quite a few cockroaches that are running up there. Uh, oh, yeah, this watch- onion needs to be peeled back. Yeah. And, and, and let the American people just see exactly what the heck's been going on and uh, drain that swamp from that end to kind of level the field right up until, uh, you know, 2024, is, which is exactly what, uh, you know, the last thing I want to ask you. Heading down the stretch right here, Mike, three weeks to go as of today. What's your last pitch to Georgia 10 voters when you're out there on the campaign trail right now? That uh, if, if they're looking for an outsider, somebody's conservative to the core, somebody just wants to go fight, and I mean fight to get this country back on track, as a matter of fact, if I'm in the right group, I tell them, you want somebody to take your size 12 boot that I'm wearing? <laughs> take it up there and shove it up somebody's ass. Send me to Washington because I'm ready to go and I'm willing to go. That's what we need up there. We need people to go up there that want to fight and uh, and leave whatever they have here behind, put it all on the line, and get this country back. We do that November the 8th. Let good quality conservative people, we'll take our country back. Yeah, you got to see these uh, polls. They, they they so tried to minimize the importance of the red wave that's coming up until just the last few weeks. And you see like MSNBC, CNN, just a little bit like, oh, maybe we're counting our chickens before they hatched. Oh, maybe people are worried more about the economy than abortion. Oh, maybe Joe Biden isn't doing a good news. And then you see all these polls. Listen, if you're seeing polls from like radically progressive legacy media outlets that show Republicans within striking distance, more than likely they're up. And and that's just the fact of the matter. Mike, this has been awesome sitting down with you. We hope at some point after November and before you're sworn in in January over the holiday season, we catch up and are able to congratulate you on your big win on November 8th. Our podcast and our entire listenership has loved following your journey in this election cycle. We wish you nothing but the best of luck and health down the, down the, you know, home stretch here. If you want to give out your social medias and campaign website, we're of course going to live link them in the show Today. You know, you can go to MikeCollinsGA.com and, and follow us on the website, or you you can take Mike Collins GA and you can search us across any type of social media platform and find us that way. But um, that goes both ways. I mean, you guys are out there every day, and and you are pushing hard for the agenda to get America First back on track. And uh, and we couldn't do what we do if we don't have 
have good support, solid support from, from podcasts and from people that are broadcasting all across this country. And I appreciate what y'all have done for us and our campaign. And I look forward to serving the country and uh, the great state of Georgia and particularly the 10th district in Congress in January, 2023. And we look forward to continuing to tracking with you. And like we said, you'll always have a spot to come on here and talk, Mike. This is a free speech zone, and uh, we love hearing the narrative that you've been cranking out, at least on this show, for a little bit over the last year. This is the America First Trump-endorsed Republican nominee, Georgia 10. Mike Collins, thanks for coming back on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. See you, man. I don't think this Republican Party, I don't think this Trump Republican Party can be rebuilt. And Herschel Walker actually... The candidacy of Herschel Walker, Pete, actually provides us such a clarifying moment because now the corruption of the Republican Party is complete. Now the corruption of Christian nationalism, which so clearly chooses power over principle, is complete. Herschel Walker actually provides such a clarifying moment uh, in, in showing just how hypocritical people who are voting for and supporting Herschel Walker have been towards politics their entire adult life, starting with, oh, being shocked and stunned at Bill Clinton's immorality. Now, brushing aside uh, the fact that Herschel Walker has openly abandoned four of his children. Good, I don't think. Good God. <laughs> Joe, so funny, of course. That's like, yeah. Joe Doucheboro never ceased to amaze us. I know he's so repulsive, man. I can't. Ugh. Well, that's what the uh, MSNBC Morning Circuit looked like today. Shit about him all day. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm, I like when Donald Trump brings up the fact that uh, he murdered his. Son. Yeah, he murdered his intern. Mm. <laughs> um, no, but that's that's freaking ridiculous what what's going on on some of these cable outlets but that's currently what we're up against and uh we're gonna jump into a battleground uh segment for our news one and, and well stake for battleground we'll just we'll, we'll throw it out there like that oh you know what they did mention steve bannon in our cold open today have you guys heard what the latest is on that what no. so he's asking for in lieu of jail time because i guess they're proposing ridiculous fines in addition to all his legal fees and then six months behind bars uh, which would lead to what some might call a vacancy on the mothership. Mm. So I was wondering, you know, I put it out there yesterday. I, I said I'd 100% fill in and, and we'd bring our guest list of uh, A-listers with us. And, you know, we could just do a little mild rebranding. But we've got some other stuff in the work that we're really excited to talk to our listenership about. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be getting into all of that moving forward. So. But I, I think right now, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is we really have to focus in on a lot of these races and the biggest ones. I don't know if you guys, well, we teased it on our Saturday show, The Great Steak Breakfast. If you haven't checked it out yet, every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, we're on live for an hour. You can go on our True Social, look for the Rumble links and the YouTube links. We're also live on Getter and several other places. So it, it, it's a really good uh, cherry on top for, for the week of news that we put out there. So, but, uh, you know, Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs went on CNN, uh, State of the Fake Union this weekend, of course, in separate segments. She mm. refused to go on with Carrie Lake. So, uh, well, big fake news proprietor Dana Bash went and, uh, you know, tried to take Carrie Lake to task on several issues. I pulled some of the juiciest clips, so let's listen to it. This one's on immigration. Let's turn to another issue facing your state, and that is the influx of migrants at the southern border. 
A lot of these individuals are seeking asylum. They are fleeing political violence in countries like Guatemala and Honduras. Stop it. Do you accept that the U.S. has a responsibility to accept those asylum seekers? Well, the vast majority of the people coming across don't really meet the criteria for asylum. There's a lot of fraudulent asylum claims that are being made. I'm really mm -hmm. concerned about the people of Arizona. We've had five million people come in, and we've had a million of them called gotaways. That means we're not even processing them. They want to avoid capture because they have criminal records. We need to vet people coming into our country. We have a great legal immigration system, a very generous legal immigration system, but we can't afford to take on the world's problems right now when so many Americans are struggling, so many Arizonans are struggling. And I'm really concerned about the number of um, seizures we've had with fentanyl coming across hmm. the border. It is the number one killer of young people in this country, and it's coming through Arizona. We're no longer going to allow the cartels to have operational control of our border. Well, DHS says that less fentanyl. than 1% of migrants encountered at the border have a criminal record. But I want to stick on, on the question well, what's of asylum. What's 1% of Those 5 million? Those that do meet the criteria, mm. should they be allowed to stay in this country? And do you think that the um, what the current governor, Doug Ducey, has done, sending some of the migrants to Washington, D.C., is the right thing to do? Would you continue that practice? Get her, Carrie. Dana, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that figure you just put out. We have a million gotaways. These are people who are intentionally entering this country, mainly through the Tucson sector, and we don't know what their background is. There's a reason they're trying to get in unnoticed. It's because they have a criminal background. And they are coming into this country. We know that they have tracked down terrorists. They've tracked down people wanted for murder. You can go to the Customs and Border Patrol site, and you'll see we've got murderers coming in. We have people with raps, with uh, a rape record. You name it. We've got hardened yep. criminals coming. Well, across, let me just, we can't let me just say. Let them. me just tell you that this stat that I just cited comes from the Department of Homeland Security. And? Less than one percent of migrants. And I know that you're using uh, language like rapists and, and criminals and so forth. What I was asking about are migrants seeking asylum. Oh, God. You know what? So just, go ahead. Uh, six, six, seven years of this bullshit. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, but nothing's changed with these people. The same talking points, the same bullshit, deflect, deflect, project, project. It, it's hilarious at this point because it's undeniable I mean, and they're they're just pulling shit out of their asses all the time, and it's 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 cringe as fuck. Well, I think those are the drug smugglers, actually. Do you think? The, <laughs> well, the people that are going up on on Capitol Hill and testifying before Congress that we have complete and total operational control of our U.S. southern border. Do you believe stats that they're going to put out now? Mm -mm. Okay, Dana Bash should put on her fucking big girl boots and take a trip down to the border and see just how much of a shit show it is. Because I can uh, surely attest it certainly is. Carrie Lake would go on. So they tried to hammer up on being an election denier, tying her back to that, like, fringe outside portions of the, you know, Republican Party that's running in these midterm elections. And f for all of us that reference the, you know, massively long YouTube videos of Democrats doing the exact same thing, uh, basically since the, the, you know, the 2000 election with Al Gore, she pushed back on, uh, well, everybody's favorite Golden Corral champion of the world, Stacey Abrams. Let's hear that one. <laughs> called the 2020 election corrupt, stolen, rotten, and rigged. Hmm. And there was no evidence of any of that presented in a court of law what? or anywhere else that any of those things are true. So why do you keep saying that? Well, there's plenty of evidence. We had 740,000 ballots with 
No chain of custody. Those ballots shouldn't have been counted. We had election laws. Where is the evidence of that? <laughs> Dana, there's plenty of evidence. You can find it. I can, I can, I'm happy to send it to your team. The problem is the media won't cover it. And there, we've it's, covered it's really this extensively. And, and what you just said has been debunked. only one side of it, Dana. The real issue, Dana, is that the people don't yeah, trust our elections. It. They haven't since 2000. I'm a reporter. I've been sitting on your side of the desk for a long time. And since 2000, we have Americans who don't trust our elections. In 2000, in 2004, they didn't trust the elections. In 2016, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, and Hillary Clinton. Everybody on the Democrat side said the Ms. election Lake. had problems. Miss Lake, there definitely sorry, has been it, some of that. But I want to say in 2000, Al Gore conceded. In 2004, John Kerry receded, uh, conceded. In 2016, Hillary oh, Clinton conceded. And we didn't see that in 2020. That's the difference. And so the question is, Dana, are you Dana, undermining Dana, faith Dana. in elections by saying that the 2020 election was stolen when there's absolutely no evidence to support that. Dana, in 2018, Stacey Abrams never conceded. She still hasn't. I don't hear CNN calling mm. her an election denier. We have the right, it's protected with our First Amendment, to question our government and to question elections. No question and we about still that. have the First Amendment. Yep. We still have the First Amendment. And when you start seeing the media cancel people for questioning their government, then there, that's when we have a problem. I, I totally agree problem. about the First Amendment. You and I are uh, benefiting from the First Amendment as we speak. So I couldn't agree with you more on that. So, yeah, well, that's Carrie Lake taking mm. Dana Bash to school. Got her. And, uh, you know, the fact it, it was a hit piece, but she wouldn't let it ever get off the rails. And, and she actually did a really good job of holding her own. So out of all the clips where Katie Hobbs, who came on after her, didn't answer anything, uh, I think the funniest one of them all is when they tried to hammer up on why won't you debate Carrie Lake. I, I do have to say it's actually the only piece of, you know, good journalistic effort they put into uh, that entire segment where they had Katie Hobbs on because she doesn't have an answer and, and they have a lot of receipts on her trying to run away from people who ask her about it. But when you can't run away from a, a live national audience on, on CNN's State of the Fake Union, uh, this is what it kind of sounds like. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Not going to look at their ballot. And well, say, she just came it, and sat down. Hobbs didn't debate her opponent. She just came and sat down with me and, and answered my questions for, for a lot of minutes. Wow. Um, a yeah, lot of minutes. A lot of Democrats are questioning <laughs> your decision. And they're saying, you know, it's the wrong decision. President Biden's former 2020 co-chair said, I would debate and I would want the people of Arizona to know what my platform is. If you think she's as dangerous as you're saying to democracy, is it your responsibility as a candidate who wants to run Arizona Got her. to show and explain who their alternative is? That is exactly what I'm doing right now. And there is a lot more ability to have a conversation with you without her interruptions and shouting uh, to do that. Mm. What do you think, Noah? What <laughs> 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 what a joke! Say again. <laughs> there's there's a lot more opportunity to not get interrupted. Mm. Carrie, Shining. Shining. Carrie, she said she. Carrie Lake has offered every stipulation. There's like, there's more of an opportunity to not look like a fucking idiot. She said, "You pick the location." You pick the moderator. You pick the platform. You can mute my microphone when you're talking. Oh, wow. She's 
put it all out there. She's like, I don't care what they ask, how they ask it. If you only want to talk negative about me and then I have to try to debunk every single thing we're talking about, let's just debate. And she's refused to this point to do anything of that nature. Um, we, we did hear at the top of our segment, you know, people talking about Herschel Walker. And uh, I do want to see what we pulled for him because there is definitely a lot of stuff going on regarding that. And I think, you know, jokingly enough, when he sat down with uh, – NBC's Meet the Fake Press this weekend for an exclusive. You're going to like some of the ways, you know, listen, a lot of people don't think Herschel Walker can bring it to the table, that he's not quick-witted enough to go and, and hit it with that. But, uh, no, this is like the antithesis of the garrison button. I have mm. to work with President Biden and yes. Democrats in order to get anything done. That's right. So let me ask you, can you name one thing that President Biden has done that you support? One thing that he's done that I support. Mm. He eat a lot of ice cream. Policy-wise? Policy-wise that he's done that I support. Damn! Uh, you want to run down his policy? Because he's been doing a lot of things since he's been there. there Executive go, orders, just like signing that student with uh, bill that I think was terrible. Common ground you think you could find with uh, Democrats? With, I know. I, I, I'm, that's what's so funny. I'm willing to work across the aisle with any of them. I work with anyone for the people of Georgia, that anyone that's want to help. But can you name a bill that's going to help? And now I'm not putting you on the spot, but give me something that within the inflation reduction that's going to help without taking money from their pocket yep. and stuff that they're paying for. Let me go back to the original question, <laughs> oh, okay. though. What's the well, one? Is, that, is okay. there one thing? Is well, there one thing? That's what I'm saying. That President Biden has think, done? That- I may have to think about it. That's what I'm saying. And I'm sorry to tell you this. I may have to think about it because it seems like since he got into office, Everything is going down the drain. Take a minute and think about it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> She's not okay, going to let him think off. About it. One thing that he's, Listen. that he's put in that I would agree with. That you would agree with. <sighs> Nothing. This is going to be a while. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, you want to know what? He threw two or three pieces of legislation that the Biden's put out there that hurt is not only the U.S. economy and our global standing and footing in the world, but hurt Georgians directly. And then he kind of threw it back in her face. He's like, no, nah, why don't you tell me some of the things that you like that Joe Biden put out there? And she's like, Mr. Walker, that's not the question I'm asking. Wow. <laughs> so it, it, listen, you got to take them to task. As long as you stay on current state of the nation and receipts of stuff that they've already done, it's like pretty much an unlosable debate. And, and that, that's literally what, what we have to keep doing, throwing it in their face. Like, you know, why won't you name uh, the, 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 the real issues that are going on with this country? I'm, I'm pretty sure she wanted to circle back to things that are not important, like January 6th and, and the, the manufactured abortion narrative. But that's just not where we're at right now. I mean, and Antoinette. Believe it or not, you're a woman. How dare me? Mm. But, you know, when you think about all the things that are negatively affecting this country, do you, do you find Rovember as one of the top 50 on your list right now? Rovember? Rovember. What the fuck is Rovember? Well, that's the hashtag they're using to say that there's going to be a referendum on the Republicans running because abortion's bigger than anything else oh, on the planet. On. Man, these people, they just want something to cry about. Like, no. I, d- I didn't even know what it was that <laughs> was even a hashtag. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have saw the people, the the climate winners out in grocery stores, like dumping milk on the floor. Why doesn't anybody just come in and slide tackle? Them? How about those idiots throwing soup on the like, Van Gogh? Yeah, classic paintings. Like I, if I was there, I would be hard pressed to not hit them with a folding chair if there was one within reach. Like on Van, like on the Van Goghs and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean the. Shoot. The paintings, the paintings are covered, but I, I think they actually did damage the frame. Yeah, yeah, it's a, 
To me, that's disgusting. Like, what are you trying to prove? I I would have, as a citizen, would have probably body signed. I think think what I would have done is when that chick started uh, rubbing the glue all over her hands in in preparation for putting it up wherever the fuck, I would just grab both of her wrists and stick it to her face. Well, no, the best part about (laughs) that was is how it ended. When the security actually arrived, they waited for them to glue their hands to the wall and then rip their hands right off the wall. So that- I, I was in Madrid at one of these museums, and there's another um, Mona Lisa picture. It's not the e like original, like, but it's one of the originals, right? Reproduction, and I couldn't even take a photo. I snuck a photo though, but just like taking a picture because of the flash, yeah. Can them, they wanted to kick me out, and I was like, I didn't do anything. And then somebody else took a picture, and I was like, see. <laughs> And I ran away. But to do that, I mean, I don't know. Like, they're lucky. Yeah, they're lucky that there weren't some real... I mean, you got to understand the the group, the demographic that usually frequents fine art museums probably isn't the most physical, but... Uh, I go to fine art museums sometimes. I, I actually enjoy them myself as well, but I'd like to see some dad just come in there and, and just absolutely pummel both of them with a shoulder shiver. Do you think you'd catch My dad a would've. case for that, basically? Who knows? Everybody sues everybody. I mean, it would just be you... They would use it to ruin your life. Like you'd lose your job, everything charged with assault, felony assault. Even though you're literally protecting what someone would consider national treasures. Yeah. It's it, it's embarrassing. Just like John Fetterman's entire senatorial campaign. Oh, I thought you were going to say something about the Declaration of Independence. Well, we'll get there. Because <laughs> um, that's what we're really trying to defend right now, not steal in any way, shape, or form. Someone who's looking <laughs> to defend it up on Capitol Hill next year is Dr. Mehmet Oz. I hope everybody had a good Mehmet Monday yesterday and Mastriano Monday, because it is still Oztober. And uh, he jumped on with Dana Perino yesterday to talk about John Fetterman. Well, the entirety of his campaign, everything from not being transparent with his medical records and releasing them to the public, and, and the way that they set up this debate, now rescheduled for October 25th, when over 60% of the electorate in Pennsylvania were voted. Let's hear the future senator from Pennsylvania. And this compassion for what John Fetterman has gone through. I'm, I'm a heart specialist, so I deal with heart failure and irregular heartbeats and strokes, the things that have been plaguing him. This is about transparency for voters. Voters deserve to know everything they need to know about the two candidates that they're going to choose from so they can make an educated decision. And John has not been willing to release his medical records. In a recent interview just this week, he refused 12 times in one interview to release information that everyone's called on him from the major major papers here in Pennsylvania to the New York Times, Washington Post. Just share your medical records so we know what's going on and come out and debate me more than once at the very end of this campaign so voters can make a choice about your ability to serve. Absolutely. I, did he say anything there that's wrong or outside the realms of reality? I don't think John Fetterman can surf. <laughs> I don't think John Fetterman can do a lot of things. Um, but no, it, it, it's 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 true. We, we, we do need to keep these people in line and hold them accountable because what's going on right now is just, you know, we see it. We've pointed it out at the top of this segment with, with Katie Hobbs. I mean, listen, when fucking CNN is taking you to task and being like, yeah. okay, the, the former advisor to... Barack Obama and John uh, or uh, Joe Biden's uh, political campaigns is saying that you are making a big mistake right here. And, and she's just like, well, I don't want to get interrupted. I think it would be really unfortunate if I did. You know, that's yeah. that's not the way you go out and, and try to win these elections. I, I, it was great to see a lot of people uh, in the Republican Party. Remember, not really loving them all, but it is all hands on deck. Ronna McDaniel and Tom Cotton, in addition to Nikki Haley, all out with Dr. Oz uh, this week doing events with them and, and kind of just, you know, circling the wagons and making sure that everybody's in the right. Speaking of which, places that 
usually aren't ever in play, Washington State, Oregon, New Hampshire, and even Rhode Island, uh, probably the most, let's see, what's the good word, vanilla Republican candidate of the entire cycle running for a House seat in Rhode Island, Alan Fung. I've been following him, and Con at Twitter loves him. What month is that going to be? But we haven't covered him enough on this show Someone who is running as a complete moderate, but maybe running away with a flipped U.S. House seat in Rhode Island, slammed Nancy Pelosi for the current state of the nation in his debate last night. I thought it was pretty spicy for someone who's completely moderate. Let's hear him. Most importantly, the unchecked, out-of-control spending coming out of this Nancy Pelosi-led Congress is a big reason why inflation is at 40-year record highs, 8 to 9 percent. Many of the mothers, the fathers, grandparents, people on fixed income, people is. like mm. my mother who's sitting in that front row that's reliant on her Social Security check oh. are getting crippled because their incomes are not keeping up with this record high inflation that's driving up gas prices, grocery prices. The fact that mothers couldn't get um, formula for their babies, that's not the country that I want to live in. That's why I'm going down to Washington, D.C. to fight for all of us. You know... If that's the best we get out of him, yeah. I will take it. Yeah. And, uh, no, he's literally become, like, the fanboy of the entire election cycle for the Republican Party. He is just so average and so vanilla, but he makes completely fun. He made, like, a commercial where he was, like, a superhero, and, <laughs> and it was actually produced pretty well. He's a guy that, like, in any other election cycle you would think is an awesome pick, but in this election cycle where there's so many people that are really harping on like the nationalist populist value someone who just kind of fits as like a cog in the machine it works and mm -hmm. uh you know i actually talked to his campaign i reached out to him about a month ago i saw him uh after his commercial came out his, his campaign staffer actually messaged me back pretty quickly and said they were going to check out the show and get back to us and like this was on the weekend on the monday he he actually sent me an email and he's like you want to know what we like what you guys do like we get the message they're like he just doesn't fit into that narrative. He's like, I would be really interested to see how he answered some of the questions you'd probably ask him. And I said, listen, we're not trying to trap him or anything like that. We just want to help support the campaign. He's like, no, we get it, but we're going to pass. So, you know, because he's just like moderate, very t close to the establishment. And, uh, you know, but, but someone that's really, what if I promise not to use this button at all? Oh, that's, I don't know. That might be a deal breaker. No guarantees on this one. Well, yeah, there we go. He does seem like a guy very well educated that would use the term apparatus more than once. Um, there were two other big debates yesterday. Uh, Mike Lee, who's running in Utah, not endorsed by Mitt Romney. Everybody's mad about it, but at the end of the day, I'm not. Um, you know, was uh, debating his challenger, someone who Donald Trump has labeled McMuffin. Mm. And, uh, you know, it got pretty spicy. There there were several uh, times where, where this kind of got off the rails, and uh, they were they were pretty much yelling and screaming at each other. The crowd was getting involved to the point where the debate moderator said, like, you guys just lost, like, 20 seconds of debate time because you guys won't stop clapping and, and yelling. And, uh, you know, he wanted to make it uh, – McMuffin wanted to make it about things like January 6th and all that other stuff, and, and, and Mike Lee legitimately was not having it. So let's hear a clip from that debate and uh, – you know, hear these two going at it and, well, kind of feuding with each other. Senator Lee, it is a betrayal of the American Republic. You were there to stand up for our, for our Constitution. But when the barbarians were at the gate, you were happy to let them in. Senator Lee, next, and we will give you an additional 11 seconds, please. 
issues. Look, I, I think I disagree with everything my opponent just said, including the words but, and, and the. Got him. Uh, wow. It was an information-free, truth-free statement uh, that's uh, something of a record. Look, um, I, th there is absolutely nothing to the idea uh, that I would have ever supported, ever, ever did support the fake electors plot. Nothing. There's not a scintilla of evidence suggesting that, and yet you continue to insist that with a cavalier, reckless disregard for the truth. This is sad. This is troubling. It's also entirely consistent with your adopted political party. Mm. You have sought for, actively courted, and obtained the endorsement of the Democratic Party. You've raised millions of dollars from ActBlue, uh, the uh, database on which far-left, progressive, socialist, Democratic donors can be found. And then you have, in the last quarter alone, spent $1.6 million feeding yep. the Democratic industrial complex. So mm. it's not surprising to me that you would come here today and spout not only lies, but lies that are specific to the leftist cause, laws, lies that are specific to the Democratic Party, and lies that certainly are not applicable to me. Very good by Mike Lee sticking on point and, and bringing out the facts. He's going to continue to be a great governor there. You have to apologize for the acoustics in some of these places. I mean, these guys literally go from jumping on Tucker Carlson and testifying uh, across, you know, globally aired uh, news outlets to mm -hmm. debating in a high school gym. Yeah. And, and that's literally where most of them have their events. Uh, no, I, I think it was good. Listen, you just got to stick to the issues. I know you probably want to go low when they go lower, but the fact of the matter is we don't need to do that. Like, Herschel Walker drops a little, well, the man enjoys a lot of ice cream. That's fine. But then he goes back to, I can't really think of anything. He talked about student loan forgiveness. He talked about, you know, crime and some other things and kind of held that lady that was trying to hem him up to task. In the last amazing clip in our Battleground News one segment right here. We had Tim Ryan, J.D. Vance, uh, volume two last night for the Ohio Senate. And uh, we all remember the huge uh, nuke that J.D. dropped on Tim Ryan in the first one when he tried to hem him up on the 10-year-old girl that required an abortion and had to travel outside of the state of Ohio because of the current restrictions they have there. J.D. Vance hit him back with, well, we all have come to learn, and it has been proven in fact now, uh, released by law enforcement, that this was an illegal immigrant who was legally present in the state, detained and arrested at least 10 times. And because of the sanctuary city uh, policies that they have and where this happened— was allowed to remain there and eventually rape this 10-year-old girl. It seems like that's going so well, those those sanctuary cities. It seems like there's definitely no problems revolving around them, and there's definitely no drain to the local ecosystem, mm -hmm. financially or otherwise. Mm. It seems like it's a great idea, and it, and it works great. It's, and it's, it's funny because it's the shittiest of shitty cities. Yes, it certainly is. Prayers up for Toledo. However... Since that narrative worked so well in the first debate, why wouldn't Tim Ryan circle back to try and hit J.D. Vance with it in round two? Let's hear it. We have a... So the, we have a... Hold on, J.D. Stop no, this is me. This is disgusting. I, I'd like to get here, here's more. exactly what happens when the media and people like Tim Ryan accuse me of engaging the Great, great Replacement Theory. I'll tell you, you exactly, peddling it. I'll you tell you exactly what happens, Tim. What happens is that my own children, my biracial children, get attacked by scumbags hmm. online and in person because you are so desperate 
for political power that you'll accuse me, the father of three beautiful biracial babies, of engaging in racism? We are sick of it. You can believe in a border without being a racist. You can believe in the, the country without being a racist. Yep. And this yep. just shows how desperate this guy is for political power. I know you've been in office for 20 years, Tim, and I know it's a sweet gig, but you're so desperate not to have a real job that you'll slander me and slander my family. It's disgraceful. So that's probably the only time you'll hear a, a, a current U.S. senator referred to as a scumbag in this year's debate circuit. Yeesh. Probably need a little bit more of it, but, you know, he was just hammering him on, on this abortion issue and talking about how the abortion numbers affect, like, these low uh, socio-demographics of minorities and stuff like that. And J.D. Vance is married to, I'm not sure exactly where she's from, but she does look like to be a uh, Middle Easterner of Arabic descent. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where he's got three little kids. It's like... No, he's not going to go out and, and, you know, push abortion legislation that's going to slaughter minorities across the world. He's going to do it to where it's not like the same kind of alternative as like using a plan B or, or a condom would be, which is what essentially the left wants to do all the way up to and after the moment of birth. Antoinette, what do you think about him uh, dropping that absolute sledgehammer on a sitting congressman for the second debate in a row? It was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You can't really argue with that, right? <laughs> no, for a lot of people who thought, like Herschel Walker, J.D. Vance might not be ready for the big stage, Blake Masters might not be ready to the big stage, it seems like everyone that we need to be ascending right now... That's and, a good reply that he had, yeah. because that is the formula, and it's been, what was it, in the 1950s, the literal, uh, the communist playbook. Right. Is you're going to call people something that is so off the palate and just disgusting to them, until it becomes true. And and that's the thing. It's like, if you say anything against illegal immigration, they just call you a racist. But it's like there's, again, nuanced conversations to have on all these things. And okay. there's there's issues that, that are crime. There's issues that are drains on the systems that these cities have in place. And it's, it's, a, it's a prime example of whether or not we should be doing it or not shipping these migrants to all these Democrat run cities and their infrastructure folds immediately because, Hey, guess what? They don't generally have this problem. You know what cities do have these problems? The ones on the Southern border. Yeah. But now every state is a border state. Yep. And, uh, the fact that these people are not coming here for asylum. They're not coming here. They, it's like they're economic migrants. Yeah. They're coming now just because they can, because they know that, we have a joke sitting in office that's just going to let them do whatever they want. Offices. Offices. Yeah, and it's very easy for them to come here. A lot of people that came here from other countries that, you know, that had valid asylum claims. And, you know, my parents are immigrants, first generation. They came here to not, you know, bring, obviously we, you know, we have our traditional cultural values and we keep them at home, but we didn't come here to change America. A lot of these people are like the lowest of a low, lowest IQ, not the best people. And they shit where they eat, where and wherever they go, they're not coming here to keep America great and be thankful for what they have and the opportunity, even though they're illegal and you know, whatnot, you yeah. know, 
they're taking advantage. And once they're done pillaging this place, they're going to go to the next place. But there's really nowhere else to go after you come here, in my opinion. Uh, we've heard be- that before on more than one occasion. I mean, there's there's a fairly better than average author. I've read a book called No Go Zones, uh, Raheem Kassam. Maybe yep. you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about how historical cities in England are just don't exist anymore because of the oh. unmitigated migrant crises that uh, have gone on there over the course of the last, you know, several decades. And now it's still out of control. Believe it. You know, I, I went to England. I literally went to Harrods. Like it's like the one of the most famous department stores in the world. I thought I was in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Like it, I could not believe where, like what I was saying. I, I went to England. My husband's from England, obviously, but I went there to see England and the culture. You can't even go to France anymore. They're literally like Raheem has said, there are no go zones. I grew up in Michigan, you know, part of my life. I can't go to certain cities because it's like, for example, Dearborn. And I know a lot of people have been there and they know you don't recognize it. There's no English. Everything is in Arabic. Everything is Muslim. If they see someone like me or, you know, a white girl, American girl, innocent, you know, doesn't know anything, they'll harass her for not wearing a hijab or just showing skin. Like these people have absolutely zero respect, you know, outside of their ignorant culture and they won't assimilate at all. And that's the same shit going on with the people coming across the border. Cause it's not just, you know, people from Latin America, they're coming from all over the world. Well, I made this point months ago where when you talk about assimilation into these, uh, cultures or these cultures assimilating into the the existing uh, groups of people that live in these areas. It's like, there's just going to be these random pockets of these closed off cultures and all people have to do to warp them and mold them. However they need them to be is just send their operatives in that, that are on their, on their level, speak their language are from their region, but work for them to just scare them into saying like, Oh yeah, you got to, you guys got to make sure you vote for these guys. Otherwise you're going to get deported or they're just going to make up just fear mongering bullshit. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of these people that come in here are a lot smarter than, well, they're survivalists and obviously opportunists, you know, and they know what the deal is. And not all of them, obviously like there's definitely a lot of people who are coming here fleeing issues and stuff. Yes. But you know, the caveat. Yeah. Not the majority for sure. This has been happening since like 2015, you know, when I was living in Europe at the time, I saw all over Europe, you know, we welcome migrants in the center of like Madrid and they, they literally got invaded and <laughs> they are. Did they dealing- take the sign down or did they leave it up? I don't know. I, I haven't been there in a while, but I knew then and there like, oh shit, this is going to be a big problem, you know, and Americans, a lot of Americans, well, they're finally waking up, but they've been ignorant because like, okay, you know, these people have problems. They need to come here, you know, it's America, but now they're realizing, Hey, you know, this is not working out for us. No, it's true. And, and you know, other parts of that debate, uh, Tim Ryan tried to say, like, you guys need to listen. Republicans are making it where the next big political battleground in this country are your sons and daughters schools. And I'm just like, yes, yes, we are. Because when you see the stuff that's coming out, you know, we're talking about like, it's so weird. We talk about some of the problems that places like Michigan, especially like Dearborn, have had with the integration of, you know, the huge Arabic culture that was shipped there after 1994 and then again after the uh, Iraq War in the early 2000s and, and just the non-assimilation that's going on. 
you got to bring up that meme from the Lord of the Rings again, where I ne- I never thought I'd see myself fighting alongside a fill in the blank. Now yeah. it's you know the <laughs> average American parents and and the uh, Arab American parents who are in the school board meetings now saying like, okay, we've been hearing about this stuff. Now we've seen it. Like what the hell's going on? Why are there pictures in my kid's friggin' book? That's in like third grade of two boys blowing each other and talking about what like, yeah, (laughs) how boys have sex with each other. So now like all of the Muslim parents and all of the other parents that live in places like Dearborn are combining to fight back against school associations to unsexualize their kids' schools. It's like, yeah, these lockdowns really backfired on everybody. They sure did. So People that they brought in to help them out are now turning against them. It's it's wild. No, it is, and and it doesn't seem like what points the Democrats try to make in these debates. You it know, just e- ends in them eating themselves, even, basically. Even, yeah, even like the lowest rated one of the cycle so far, which was the two Ron Johnson ones, where he still was able to eke out wins, but he just you know isn't a good debater. It's like as long as you stick to the record in the current state of the nation, you know, like the stuff that's directly affecting the state or the congressional district or, or wherever that you live in, you're going to be more than fine. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking midterms and a whole bunch of other stuff with our two next guests that we've got coming in. Uh, well, hot right about now. All right. Coming in next on the show today, he works in tech policy at the heritage foundation. Believe it or not, all his views are his own. One of our great friends, Jake Denton. Thanks for coming back on steak for breakfast. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. This is great. Sir, how's everything going with you? What's new up in uh, where you're working at right now? What are you seeing and uh, what's hot? What's busy? I mean, we're getting close to the midterm elections, but besides that, there's tons of other stuff always going on behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we're busy kind of monitoring all of the uh, the abuses from big tech uh, within the election cycle. Um, it's really a, a lot to take in all at once, but there are a ton of instances that we're tracking um, you know, everything from the bot issue to the election integrity partnership, um, you know, which has just been wreaking havoc on the conservative candidates since 2020. Uh, but they're in full swing right now for the midterms. And, uh, you know, we're, that's a big point of focus for us right now. And, um, you know, as the election day approaches, it's just getting worse and worse on Twitter and all the other social media platforms with censorship. So it's, uh, we're holding the line. Yeah, you know, th- this whole bot issue, it's something that keeps coming up and and, and be, being more and more prevalent as we're getting closer to what it looks like is going to be an Elon Musk takeover of Twitter. Uh, I think they're probably in the, the gray area right now before it's official. Yeah, let me, and uh, let me guess, he doesn't get his hands on it till after the midterms. Well, that's that's a gimme. But, you know, Jake, maybe you could give our ins- our listenership a little bit of insight just over a week ago. There was a few days where, like, some of the most major accounts were losing hundreds of thousands of followers at once, and then slowly some of the numbers were coming back. Does that have to do with this whole bot problem on there? Is Twitter trying to, like, self-eliminate some of their own receipts before Elon Musk takes over, or what do you think's going on there? Yes, they haven't been very transparent as to what unfolded that day, right? We were watching it. Everybody had it. I think I lost close to, like, 70 or 80. Some of the other accounts were losing tens of thousands. I had a couple of friends who work in congressional offices uh, hit me up and go, you know, why did our congressman just lose 30,000 followers? Um, and there wasn't a really good answer from Twitter on what was happening, but I speculate that they're trying to do initial cleanup of kind of selected accounts so that, you know, if Elon does take the helm, they can go, look, we already solved the problem. Um, you know, they're trying to kind of give him a controlled solution rather than let him kind of take on the issue on his own. Um, but I mean, what we saw essentially is the extent to which the bots are engaged. They obviously didn't get all of them, right? And so you're just kind of getting a a sense of how artificial the following counts and the engagement um, of a lot of these candidates, public figures, and people in our space um, have been propped up by. So I think, um, 
you know, as Elon takes the helm, it's going to be important to see if he actually pushes for elimination of all bots um, or if, you know, he kind of takes the, uh, the lead of the engineers and just kind of goes with whatever they put forward. Yeah, if you look at some of the uh, internal text messages and emails that have been leaked between him and the current CEO and chairman of the board there, doesn't really look like he's, uh, you know, too interested in going with the flow there. It looks like he wants to be pretty hands-on, especially, I don't know if you guys had saw it, overnight, Elon Musk shared a, a meme, and it's of the Three Musketeers, him, Donald Trump, and Kanye West, <laughs> talking about Parlor, True Social, and... Uh, you know, Twitter, obviously, and, and he, he said, in retrospect, it was inevitable. And, uh, nice. Yeah, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we saw Kanye West kind of come out today and, and surprisingly announced that he had purchased Parler and that that was going to be happening a little bit faster than, than maybe Elon Musk taking over uh, Twitter. What do you think about I mean, Kanye's kind of been on one for the last couple of weeks, and, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, we all hope he gets help. His good talking points are good. Some of his bad hot takes are not so much. Yeesh. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter, him coming in and buying, like, another big social media company with conservative influence is uh, probably a good thing, but it, depending on what he can do and how much he's going to put a good team around him and clean that up it, it is another one because I know – you know, Parler had a lot of problems with bots and trolls and definitely some off-color racist and anti-Semitic stuff on there before it kind of went under during COVID. And uh, now it looks like he's going to try and bake it back. What do you think about that whole narrative? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Parler, just like Getter and all these other alternative platforms, were kind of riddled with issues. They were rushed to roll out to kind of solve for this Twitter issue. Um, and they never really kind of got the momentum they needed to actually be a viable alternative Parlor in particular, I think, has a lot of aesthetic difficulties, right? It's not a very pleasing app to to browse through. It feels very chunky, feels kind of mid-2000s. Um, and so, I mean, look to see if Kanye is going to actually uh, use that kind of Yeezy branding, you know, the eye for a uh, good design and kind of clean up the app. That would be huge. And then, I mean, he obviously isn't coming from a tech background, but he's very familiar with the censorship issue. Um, so hopefully we'll see just another platform kind of emerge as a potential uh, contender for uh, being the alternative to Twitter. Um, and I think you are probably right. It's probably likely that Kanye gets the helm before Elon gets the helm of Twitter. Um, so I, it'll be tough to say if it has any impact at all, really, on the midterms. But, um, I mean, it's a good sign, right? We're kind of taking things back, and uh, there's still interest for alternative platforms rather than the kind of mainstream Titan platforms like Twitter and Facebook. No, I mean, that's it right there. And then, you know, we, we talk about these things all the time. And does a part of you feel like at least maybe the teams of those three people I mentioned, Donald Trump, Kanye West, and Elon Musk, I mean, every once in a while they take, like, meme-related pot shots at each other. But it seems like in, in more ways than one, there may be some, like, back room, at least, like, on the outer rims of people in their inner circles, like, collaborating with each other again, you know, because we all know that Elon Musk and Donald Trump had a pretty two-way street working relationship when he was the president, and obviously he was pretty close with Kanye West, and, uh, you know, the three of them together, it just seems like they're trying to figure out a way to serve big tech, uh, you know, more than they deserve over the last, you know, half decade, if not more, of uh, ridiculous censorship towards, uh, you know, conservative voices. Yeah, I think there's kind of a mutual understanding amidst the three of them of what time it is, right? Like there's a desperate need for big action. Um, and, you know, whether the first shot comes from Trump, whether it comes from Elon, it doesn't really matter um, as long as we get the result we need, which is a free and open platform for us to actually have an impact in the public square. Um, you know, for too long, we've been kind of kicked off to the side. So, you know, if Kanye is the one who's able to do it, great. But, you know, Twitter is probably still the vehicle for us to have the most yeah. impact. And so we need to really like kind of 
break free of these restraints that they've put on us and actually kind of reemerge and uh, have the impact that we need to have in order to flip seats and um, to, you know, stay relevant. No, that's it. And then well, last thing I want to touch on kind of with these social media, you know, applications and platforms is uh, you probably saw last week that Truth Social was finally let in the beginning of the week into the Samsung store and then Google Play towards the end of the week, which gives it full reign over the major people who, uh, you know, allow you to download apps for your phones and computers. Uh, in addition to that, True Social has concluded their beta testing and is ready to run out their, their more full version of the application. We're pretty good friends with Devin Nunez and Cash Patel. They're frequenters on the show, and they had been telling us they had this big you know, application update ready, but they just knew once they had put in the Samsung and Google, they had to wait because they'd have to do two, maybe three more full-on updates to uh, get everybody up to speed uh, instead of just doing it across the platform now. Now, it's, it's gone up to number one in pretty much all three stores pretty quickly. I mean, there aren't as many users on as there, and they're technically only in, like, four countries, I believe. It's Canada, the United States, parts of, of other regions of Europe for major influencers, and then um, Canada. So, you know, what do you think the, the future is for True Social once they get, like, the direct messaging, probably the group applications, and maybe even, like, uh, like a Reels version, something closer to Instagram, which Devin Nunes has always talked about as well? Yeah, so my stance on alternative platforms has always been that if it's entirely, you know, conservative uh, commentary, entirely politics, they'll never really get a foothold. Uh, you actually, you need to break into these like pop culture circles. You need to have your, you know, girlfriend be able to go on and see beauty content. You need to have comedy content. You need to break that kind of uh environment in which you only consume politics because it's exhausting. You know, the reason we're allowed to stay on Twitter or we're able to stay on Twitter and not just be nauseated is that, you know, we see politics, politics, and then a comedy post or politics, and then like a funny video. Um, and that's, what's able to make it not a, such a horrible experience to be on the platform. Sure. So truth really needs to bring over influencers from other sectors, other than politics, uh, whether it be comedy, whether, you know, this is something that Kanye might uniquely be capable of, but um, I think if truth really prioritizes that they're in the best spot right now, as an alternative platform to make an impact. And I think that's what the good, like the top tier of their, uh, you know, board is good. You have Cash Patel, who's really aligned with the political stuff and strong defender of Donald Trump, you know, really still going after all the Rushgate people in that. And then you have someone like Devin Nunes. Devin Nunes likes his wine. He loves to grill. I mean, he's launched John Rich's newest single on there, which remained number one in the iTunes store for uh, 16 or 17 days, like overtaking the Beyonce single that came out, launched exclusively on Truth Social. They've got some uh, good artists and content creators coming out there. Jim Brewer's moved over to uh, True Social, and he's going to be doing some of his stand-up that's going to be available only on that platform as well. So I, I like where you're going with that, and I think when you talk about it, it looks like Devin Nunes has a pretty good business plan uh, moving forward on what that's going to be going on. There, there's some uh, other stuff going on related to big tech that's that's uh, in, involved in conservative politics, namely that RNC versus Google court case that's uh, heating up. What, what can you tell our listenership about that going on currently? Yeah, so this is an issue that, I mean, really started to get notoriety during the 2020 cycle, and it's uh, all involving kind of these campaign communications, mass blast emails to voters. Um, and so during the 2020 election, Donald Trump Jr., Kushner, all these folks came out in a rage uproar over Google, basically instant spam filing all the Trump 2020 emails. Yep. Uh, it's, it was a huge issue. It affected their donation dollars, the get out to vote efforts, um, and then kind of went away. It wasn't really in our, uh, um, our focus. And then here come the midterms in 22 and, uh, what, uh, chairwoman McDaniel is basically saying, 
uh, or Ron, yeah, Ron McDaniel, um, is that all of these email communications on the main uh, approach up to these fundraising deadlines each month are going to spam, right? And so maybe you're allowed to exist in the uh, the run up to these deadlines, but these big push efforts all get filed into spam. And so I think you know what this lawsuit really is going to hopefully result in is some level of transparency as to what the um, the spam filter is doing. Um, there's speculation that it's, uh, you know, filtering for buzzwords, things like Trump, things like um, America first, those types of buzzwords, but we have no idea, um, you know, what they're actually flagging. So that's the goal here, I think, is to really get some clarity if it's targeted. Um, and then, you know, obviously if they win, it's going to be a huge milestone for, um, kind of conservative messaging, the conservative apparatus, because um, it's only going to get worse if this goes unchecked. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it right there. And uh, it's it's kind of a little different different situation. Google is not on the defensive here. They, they remain on the offensive. They're not like a Twitter, let's just say, where they're kind of like, you know, the entire office is on fire and they're just trying to get out of there. <laughs> but, uh, no, this this would be a big one, and, and it's one where, you know, hashtags um, and, and keywords and, and things regarding to emails – probably since before the 2020 election cycle, all were, you know, related to MAGA, America First, Save America, Donald Trump, and all that stuff is, uh, you know, probably getting massively repressed and, and just kind of out of control. I think, uh, you know, that, that'll be a good one. And it's good to see the RNC actually fighting over it. So you, you just wrote a new article about election integrity, and uh, I, I wanted you to tell our listenership about that, and we will live link it in the show description today. Yeah, it's uh, out in the Washington Times. It's covering the Election Integrity Partnership, which is an entity of you know four different uh, kind of t- usual suspects of the left. You have two academic institutions, University of Washington and Stanford. Uh, you have the Atlantic Council, uh, which is kind of a favorite of the establishment here in D.C. And then you have a firm out of New York called Graphica, which is essentially a composition of uh, security apparatus alums, folks from the CIA, the NSA, and they call themselves a uh, a social media analytics firm. And what they've been, what happened in 2020 is the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department deputized this group, gave them taxpayer dollars to go through and priority flag um, things like that. It's a partnership, uh, things, uh, posts that are misinformation, things of kind of question. Um, and so this group went out, they flag all these posts and they go to the top of Twitter and YouTube and all these different uh, entities um, list of to take action on. And they recently put out their uh, 2020 findings report. We found that it almost entirely targeted conservatives. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the top 15 all were conservatives. You had accounts like Robbie Starbuck, who's a good friend of mine. Uh, you had folks like Donald Trump Jr., Jack Posobiec. Um, everybody uh, that you see on your Twitter feed has had action taken against them from yep. this election integrity partnership. And so you would think that after the findings come out that it is all conservative there would have been some concern from the Biden admin of falling into this, you know, political battle of them sponsoring conservative censorship. But instead, they doubled down. They gave them millions of more dollars to go after the midterms. And I mean, we're seeing it live every day of posts getting taken down, the fact check banners underneath posts. Every single conservative that's trying to disrupt the status quo uh, is getting harassed by this uh, kind of coalition of blue haired academics yeah, I mean, uh, Robbie Starbucks, one of our great friends. and, and when, Did we make the list? You know what? Actually, we didn't. When the chart came out, I, I, I maximized as much as I could and looked at all of the little bubbles, even the ones that were on the outer orbit. And I was like, how do we not make the list? Like I said, there's, there's at least 15 people 
on this chart right now who are regular guests on our show, but we don't make the list. I feel like we're being repressed for being repressed. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a, a double negative for us. And uh, hope that, well, there's always next time. Uh, but I, but, <laughs> but I, if we make the list, I will make us a plaque and we'll hang it up in the studio. And uh, <laughs> we, we could point it out to all of our guests that come in here. So, I mean, Jake, what do you think moving forward? Uh, you know, we, we've seen so much stuff from the Biden administration, everything from like, you know, uh, the stuff with Nina Jankowitz all the way down. There was someone recently who was, you know, she was essentially calling Republicans, and I'm, I'm using very loose language here, but retards on online in in tweets back in the day and when she was asked about it it seems like this administration whenever you legitimately find something against them and like we're talking legitimately they just double down and say like we don't care and put their foot on the gas and move forward heading now towards the other side of the 2020 midterm elections the polls are tightening everywhere it looks like we might still enjoy a little bit of a red wave here across the way Tech policy is something that you guys are working down there at Heritage and you're working in all the other contexts of the stuff that you do that's going to be a major uh, improvement to everything going on for us after the midterm elections. What do you see some of the stuff you might be working with, you know, uh, policy-wise with with our friends up on Capitol Hill following the midterms? Yeah, so we just came off the uh, uh, Merger Filing Fee Modernization Act vote, right? So this was a foundational antitrust piece of legislation something that conservatives have been messaging on for years of, you know, potential action we could take on big tech. And there only ended up being, I think it was about 39 Republicans that supported it. Um, and so what we're seeing right now is that this coalition that we thought had been formed, uh, this kind of task force that we thought would take on big tech isn't really game time ready, right? Like they are, there's still a long ways to go before we can take big shots at big tech. Um, and so hopefully this freshman class has some, uh, kind of outspoken big tech champions that are going to be able to kind of uh, spearhead this effort. Um, But I think uh, antitrust is probably of the foremost priority for them. Um, And then investigations, we need to go back and figure out what Biden and this regime has been working with Silicon Valley to do, right? Like we saw in the Greitens deposition findings, which we talked about in my last appearance on here, uh, they're literally just messaging Facebook, Twitter, telling them what types of content to take down. Yep. Um, so this is an obvious violation of Americans' First Amendment rights. This election integrity partnership is a violation of First Amendment rights. So, you know, these Republicans coming in need to, like, actually prioritize uh, getting to the bottom of all the abuses and then holding the regime accountable. Yeah, this group of Republicans that's coming in. Just a real quick opinion, last thing. Th- th- this is a little bit different crop of, of uh, America First Republicans, majority of them that we're going to be getting in. I mean, there's still some rhinos out there and some ones who are a lot more moderate, but I would say the overwhelming majority of the people that are running in major House races this year, the ones that are going to draft that policy and send it up the chain, it, it looks like they're a little bit more on board uh, to uh, kind of go out there and do the work that needs to be done for the American people than uh, you know ones we may have had in the past, just the regular suit and tie. I mean, we're literally going to be having guys wearing like vest and, and cowboy boots up on congressional hill next year do you, do you think this is a lot better crop than you've probably seen in maybe our lifetime yeah i mean these guys are ready for the job they don't follow this typical mold um this coalition has shown that they're not really willing to fall in line with the kind of talking points of yeah. connie inc and this uh kind of bigger institutional um kind of like stranglehold that all these new members get pushed under to um you know they're hesitant to engage with uh policy organizations. They're really just staying uh, to their roots, their populist intentions within their districts um, and trying to actually advance the goals of their uh, their constituents. And so um, with this class coming in, incredibly optimistic. I think the sky's the limit in terms of what we could accomplish. Um, but it's important, you know, that we stay on top of them and sure. uh, really 
push for those uh, those wins. Absolutely. Jake, do you want to tell us where we can find you on social media? And we'll live link it in the show description today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Twitter uh, at Real J Denton or and Real Jake Denton. Um, and then also you can find me on uh, the Heritage website. You can see all my writings up there. Just type in Jake Denton Heritage Foundation. Um, I've got a couple of pieces on big tech that you can check out. That we talk about this type of stuff. Yeah, you know what? This is something that uh, may not be at the top of the headlines, but I'll be honest with you. When you talk to a, a lot of our listenership in the comments, they always want to know what's going on with, you know, social media repression. What are we doing to combat it? And a lot of the things that are going on behind the scenes to make it a better experience for everybody moving forward. Jake, this has been awesome. As usual, we'll be for sure looking to have you back at some point, hopefully before Thanksgiving. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come down and talk about all this stuff with us today. Absolutely. Always great to join you guys. Covering all that tech policy down at the Heritage Foundation. This is Jake Denton. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. All right, joining us next on the show today, he formerly worked out of the office of one of our favorite reps, Troy Nels. He's currently holding everybody accountable up on Capitol Hill, working for the Daily Caller. Glad to be sitting down with him again. J.W. Gibbons, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Always a good time. No, it's our, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you, sir? What's some of the stuff you're uh, seeing out there? What's at the forefront? I mean, obviously, the midterm elections is kind of engulfing everything. We even see a lot of the legacy progressive media kind of having meltdowns over it. But the fact of the matter, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. It's probably some stuff that's not on people's radars that's equally important. What are you seeing right now? Well, for me, the craziest thing, and I, I hate, honestly, I'm getting sick of this term, red wave. The red wave is coming. I, I cannot imagine how many house seats we're going to get and how many Dems we're going to toss out of there. People that have been established for years, people in blue states that are plus eight, plus ten, talk at all of those seats turn or those flip. This The education thing is something that completely is like radicalized so many different people. It's something that I think is going to be huge. And even looking at the Senate, I mean, the Senate's not necessarily – where we would expect as much like Herschel's campaign, you know, it goes off and on whether or not he's looking good or not. But I honestly think any of them can win any of our guys, Blake, Herschel, and then the governors. Oh my God. The governors are Carrie Lake is going to win that thing by a landslide oh, yeah. in my opinion, at least. So for me, it's really just been, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Every time I watch and I watch and I watch CNN, I watch MSNBC come out there and they have to admit that we're winning like it's when MSNBC goes out there and basically has to tell Biden the Biden camp and tell the Democrats like you need to change your messaging and they're saying that mm. that means that we that something really really serious going on yeah. no so I like it our, our midterm election pronouns we identify as 35 245 53 minimum mm. that's where we're sitting at right now <laughs> we feel the same way as you it's it's so funny to watch MSNBC come out over the course of the last 10 days and see Joe Joe Scarborough and all those other you know Nicole Wallace be like well you know, now that we think about it, maybe the economy is a top ticket item, but then they still do their polls and you me and Noah were talking about it on Friday. It's like they'll put the economy at number one and like almost 40 percent of their total people polled will say the economy and then they have to put in there. It's like at, right after that's abortion mm -hmm. and then the southern border crime and then gun control. So they still keep their bullshit narrative in there, but they literally have to put the top ticket item at the top. And, uh, you know, just to see some of these campaigns really taking off. When you have CNN do an entire segment this weekend talking about how places like Washington State, Oregon, Connecticut, and New Hampshire are all in play, that Lee Zeldin has moved into within the margin of error versus a sitting uh, governor in New York State, I'm just like, how can you even say any of the other races across the country are close in places mm -hmm. like, like Donald Trump won by, like, you know, Donald Trump R plus 30 districts when you're saying that, like, all of the other places that are historically untouchable are, are literally within the margin of error right now. To me, it just looks like it's... Uh, 
definitely something that we, we don't need to see any dooming online. We don't need to see all of these fake repression polls that come out that say, like, the Democrat crappy candidate is, like, a point or two up. Because right now it's just, like, go to the grocery store. Go to the gas pump. Go to school and ask them what they're teaching your kids in class. Watch, uh, you know, every single congressman or candidate that's going down to the southern border right now and showing you what a dumpster fire it is. Look at, uh, well, try to walk down the street without getting beat up or ran over, robbed, raped, or killed. You know, it's one of those things where uh, the entire world's on fire, and, and I really do feel like the referendum's coming on November 8th. Well, I think one of the crazy and so when I worked on when I worked on the Hill, and I, I was a messenger, I was a communicator, and one of the things that was instilled in me very early was consistent messaging is good messaging. And well, what's more consistent than going to the grocery store every day and seeing your prices be hiked up by mo- like dollars and dollars and dollars every time you go? That's every day. You people that don't look at their phones, people that don't read the paper, people that don't look at the news, they see the they see the gas pump, they see the, they see this stuff going on. They go to their and now that they're paying attention to their kids, which is actually something my old boss Troy Nell said on, in an interview a while back. He said that the reason he thinks parents are getting more involved in schools because during the online learning process, you'd have parents in the room listening to what these crazy teachers were saying to their kids. Yeah. And they're like, and that wait, what? Of, you see that every single day, you kind of understand what's going on. Like that's a, people are being, it's getting shrubbed. Nobody in America loves politics except for, you know, us over here in Washington and everything. I mean, I, I mean, I love politics, but most Americans want to stay out of it. But when it's in your face every single day, mm-hmm. you have to pay attention and you have to start thinking about who you're going to vote for. So I think that's, what's really going on. No, I, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think like, you know, there's another component of it. We were talking off air and, and we're definitely going to touch on it right now. Part of it's the youth movement that, that's involved in this. I mean, you're a young guy. We had Jake on this morning as well. Uh, he's, he's definitely not old by any way, shape, or form. And when, when you look at, you know, we've had the opportunity to get so close to a lot of these major campaigns. When you talk about people like Joe Kent, Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, uh, even Herschel Walker's campaign, Dr. Oz. At the top of the people who are like running logistics behind the scenes of their campaigns, there's a lot of people who are in their mid 20s to early 30s, which is something that like, you know, it, it, it's really not normal in, in conservative politics. You always want the the suit and tie wearing boomer narrative pushing like we're going to find a comprehensive solution to immigration and lower your taxes. And uh it just seems that we've gone so far. We've blown the box out of the water. We're not outside the box anymore. We're touching on so many different things right now, everything from reforming education to closing the southern border, regulating trade and, and holding China accountable and, and making our, our streets safe and our historically Democrat-ran states and cities again. Like, I really think that that's, re- you know, the big bringing everybody to the table right now, the moderates, the walkaway Dems, and the independents to, uh, you know, this Republican movement, at least in this midterm election cycle. What do you think? So I think one of the biggest reason that that's happening, we have so many people our age that are so proactive in it, is the fact that we're one of the first generations that's really in the internet age. It's really hard to, you know, disguise a narrative and tell you what to think when you're that, you know, like now that we can see everything. When we have Twitter, we have Rumble, we have True Social, we have Getter, we have all these different places to get this information. So this, I was born into being, questioning these narratives because the first thing I would see is, on Twitter, a hundred different people questioning something that CNN said when I was growing up, my mom would, my mom would be watching the TV and that would be, you know, the de facto thing. So I think that's part of why these people are getting radicalized. And then it comes in, I think there's just this new energy, this new, no one's controlling 
what these what kids are our age are doing really and i mean i guess it goes back to like the schools are like completely in shambles people have to learn for themselves in a lot of different capacities if they want to learn anything at all but there's so many there's so many guys that i've met over here that are so young like i'm i'm one of the older guys from some of these people like i'm 25 i know guys that are 21 20 22 that are out here grinding in campaigns grinding on while they're in college, there's a guy that uh, named C.J. Pearson who worked with Vernon Jones, and yep. he was his comms director while he was doing college the entire time. So it's like the, these guys are seeing what they can do. They've lived in these spaces for so long. They know how the media world works, and they can translate it that so easily that these older communicators, these older guys that are used to you know print, they're used to the, the normal narratives, they have issues relating to people now because now information is just washing over you constantly. You have to be direct. You have to be to the point and you have to be clear because if you're not, somebody's going to come around and undercut you. you you're always going to be questioned for anything you say these days. So you have to be able to defend it. No, you, you make total sense. I mean, I do spend a lot of time on social media and I just look, you know, sometimes conservative election Twitter, you, you have somebody challenge them on a narrative and you'll have a kid that's like a junior in high school throughout the last three election cycles on his Twitter feed with a comparative analysis and the demographics of the thing and why he thinks this, you know, that the House district is going to go this way November 8th. And it's just like wait a minute, what grade you in? It's like, I can't talk right now. I got to go to homecoming. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> these kids are ridiculous. But but you know what? That's a, that, that's part of the movement right now. And that's definitely what's, uh, you know, turned everybody back on to the, I, I think a lot of people are so tied to their electronics and the social media, even if they're not all the way with the Republican narrative, they're like, you want to know what? At least these people know what they're talking about and they're not just feeding me BS. So I, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, at least give them a try. And that's what we're hoping for. You know, JW, one of the things we were talking about is uh, oh, one last thing on that. It was interesting. So it's interesting just like the people are when you're saying you know, the social media, if even if you're not a Republican, you can see this on your phone, right? You're going to see all these different narratives like people are so independent now. Yeah. Like Charles Payne was talking about fintechs and all that kind, and all that kind of stuff of Robin Hood and those other places and how these fintech guys, these Reddit investors are making money and beating out the Wall Street giants like on on their own accounts, like putting out this deep analysis. Charles Payne was talking about that the other day and it's just. I, I, social media has done a lot of negative things for the world, but I think in that respect, it just given you some, it gives people independence and the ability to just, you know, share their thoughts, share their thoughts uh, without any kind of restriction, which I think is interesting. No, to go it, before. that's it. Well, you know, one of Noah's favorite major influencers and, uh, People of the news cycles has circled back with us lately. We've seen him going and trying to cover up a lot of his messes over the last couple of weeks, namely Dr. Fauci. Mm. I, I know that you were uh, hitting him hard on some of the stuff that uh, he's been saying he didn't do, even though there's literally 10 minute YouTube montages of him saying he was literally going to do that during the pandemic. In addition to all the other stuff, what's going on? What's up new uh, and exciting with Dr. Doom that you want to tell our listenership about? Well, so recently, as in today, one of our reporters, Dylan Houseman for The Daily Caller, he's a, one, a great reporter, great friend of mine. Uh, he's actually in another room right now. He came, he came out with a story about this new COVID variant that they've been experimenting on yeah. that has an 80% mortality rate. It's a new variant, so if you get it, 80% likely you're going to die. Perfect. Fauci funded it. It Perfect. was funded by Dr. Fauci. It's like, when will this guy stop? When is he going to go out of when he's going to go out of his way to be like maybe tossing this money around to make I don't know if they're his friends I don't know what's going on with this these these different kind of scientific experiments I don't know why he's doing these things but why is he tossing his money around to all these different questionable experiments questionable questionable people and they're putting I don't like that for me seems kind of dangerous considering what we recently had now I trust the the 
the scientists at Boston a little bit more than I trust the scientists in the Wuhan wet market. Absolutely. But <laughs> it's a little, it's crazy that we're st- that you'll see that this money and so much money, there's so much money is still going to stuff like this. And Fauci just sits there and nods his head and says, I have nothing to do with the co- with this stuff anymore. He wa- He's walking back everything. There was a crazy interview. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. There's a crazy uh, interview or a little talk he was giving. Might have been for like, Klaus Schwab or some globalist thing like that. And he was out there and he was saying that I'm going to step away from the government because I want to start molding new scientists. You know, I want to be that guy for them, like their teacher. And it's like, nobody wants that. Mm -mm. How is that? How is your career shown that you deserve to be the person to tell these guys what is right and wrong or up and coming scientists, the people that are going to shape this country, especially when it comes to like immunology and vaccination, like clearly there was some a massive disconnect between your thoughts and what actually was happening. Mm-hmm. So why he's just he's the most self-centered person, one of the most self-centered people I've ever seen on in politi- in politics. No, he's absolutely ridiculous. You know, I, I do have to point out they, there's a lot of people that uh, you know they're they're talking about casting for that Doctor Doom role. You know, there's the Avengers sequel that's coming out at the end of 2025. He, he may be stepping out of you know uh, mainstream government and politics to to you know basically project what he's going to be doing behind the scenes, uh, you know, in that role later down the road. But but it is it is really scary. I mean, I, I do agree with you, the fact that I do trust the scientists at, in Boston a little bit more than I do, you know, at the Wuhan lab. But the fact of the matter is, is they're still messing around with this after they all went up there, all the ones that were fired, all the ones that stepped down, all the ones that took their golden parachutes and took off, and Anthony Fauci, and tested in front of Congress several times that, like, they didn't fund it, they didn't do it, this isn't what they try. And even when they kind of got them with receipts, they're like, Okay, well, we need to figure out how we're going to, like, make, you know, cures for when this stuff happens. And then we all obviously saw what's going on with the vaccine right now and, and all the problems and issues that people are having with that. And now we're getting receipts that they didn't even test it the right way before they started shooting it up as, like, boosters in adults and, and initial shots in kids. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I've never seen anything like this before. I know there's some ulterior motives behind it. I mean, I don't go down the rabbit hole as much as, like, maybe your standard Telegram user. But the fact of the matter is there's definitely something that's, like, unprecedented about this whole vaccine and COVID narrative that we still haven't found out yet. And I'm waiting to see what happens at some point. But um, I, I hope, you know, the, our next Congress will uh, hold him accountable, which is kind of what I want to finish on. Moving forward, we are now, I think, 21 days before the midterm elections. This is the most important one in the history of modern politics. We see every single major news outlet, especially on the legacy progressive side, that are just bending at the knee and saying, like, you want to know what? Maybe we did say the red wave wasn't coming a little too early. Maybe the economy is the number one important issue. You know, maybe Carrie Lake is absolutely going to walk in places like Arizona. Maybe the Republicans are going to win back the Senate. You guys are hitting this up uh, extremely hard from every angle and looking at every single candidate out there. What are, what are you seeing as just an overall narrative of this midterm elections? And what can you let our listenership know? I mean, we're probably going to see a few more October surprises, although we are getting a little long in the tooth on it. But between now and November 8th. Well, well one thing I can say is the January 6th stuff for Oof. Dems does not run. Nope. He, like they, Tim Ryan goes out there, tries to bury Vance on the, on that kind of stuff. And like Vance destroys him talking about all the issues that we, you were just mentioning, like Carrie Lake, she, they're trying to come for Carrie Lake and Katie Haas. It's more important that Katie Haas isn't even really doing real interviews. So yeah. She isn't even, she refuses to debate. Like these kind of narratives, they outweigh 
like the real stuff that affects you on a day-to-day basis. That's what's important to people. Like I go back to like, you know, the stuff you look at, you know, consistent messaging of the the grocery store. You don't see the videos of January 6th every day. You know, you don't, that's not stuff that you generally talk about. Like that's, that's not the stuff that affects your day-to-day the way that this other stuff does. So I think that's something that they've been a little, because they have nothing. So they have to grab at straws. They have to grasp at something and they choose one of the, one of the things that they think they're going to solidly win on, which the reality is, I mean, I work for Troy, like they're not as solid on January 6th as like they think they are as, yeah. as well. I think there's going to be some look back into that and there's going to be some hell to hell to pay for that as well. So it's, it's very interesting seeing. And then, I mean, I guess the, like going back to like even the, the abortion thing, Roe v. Wade, like that was an issue that was fiery when it happened. And now it's it seems to be that even now, even many liberal women, liberal moms care just about clearly care just as much about the economy and feeding their kids as they do uh, about abortion. So it's stuff like that. Like when you when you can't feed your kids or when you can't feed your families or buy as much food. That's another uh, article that actually came out on the Daily Caller today that I recommend. There's an article that, that apparently people are buying less food now because of inflation. They're trying to spend less money on food, spend less money on feeding themselves and their family, which is just got to be devastating for your mental health, for your own bodies. Like there's so many that like that's just going to hurt us in so many different ways coming off of a pandemic where mental health has definitely been assailed aggressively when you couldn't be outside. Like that's, I'm worried about that as well, but that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. No. Um, I, I, yeah. People changing their diets drastically. It does. It, it changes your, your chemical balance in your, in your head really. I mean, it, you know, people get depression worsened because they've, you know, drastically tried some fad diet to lose weight or something like that. But it's like, man, if you just can't afford food, like there's that bumming you out. And then on top of it, like not getting the stuff that your body wants, like, yeah. Yeah. You had everybody kind of junking it up during COVID. And then there was that little time where they were like, okay, maybe it is time to get healthy again. And then the friggin' uh, inflation hit like crazy. And now everybody's like, well, I ate top ramen for two years. I might as well just circle back to it. But you, but you do make a lot of good points that, that JD Vance narrative we saw for the second debate in a row, uh, the Democrat-manufactured issue of abortion, J.D. Vance just take it and absolutely posterized Tim Ryan on it. Uh, he hit him up with the illegal alien that was allowed to stay there because of the sanctuary city status in Ohio last time. And then the narrative that he brought last night, which he absolutely crushed, we played it in the, in the opening segment of our show today because we did a midterm election roundup. And, uh, yeah, then when you talk about just all the other stuff that's going on, it seems like we really are toast to the line right now of something great that's going to happen. I mean, it's still going to be, there's going to be that time in between the midterm elections and when the new Congress is sworn in where the Dems are going to have like a free for all executive order, push every piece of bullshit legislation that they can, uh, you know, uh, partisanly down the, down the thing. And, and we'll see Joe Biden on the defensive because he knows we talk to people who are going to be in Congress next year, every week on our show. And every single one of them still wants Merrick Garland impeached. They want uh, Alejandro Mayorkas impeached. They want to go after Joe Biden uh, for stuff that he did. Everything from the, the Saudi prid pro quo last week to the Afghanistan debacle and, and the U S Southern border. And it just looks like the biggest days uh, and, and the fight is ahead of us. Do you see current leadership in the Senate and House? I mean, obviously, it looks like we're going to have McCarthy, whether we like it or not, as the as the Speaker of the House, which uh, a lot of people have warmed up to. You've seen Ronald McDaniel on the road in battleground states, especially out there for Trump-endorsed candidates like Dr. Oz and Carrie Lake, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell is going to be what it be. If, if, if Rick Scott plans on going to war with him behind the scenes after, you know, Donald Trump had talked to him about that, then we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But if not, we're going to get Mitch McConnell at least for one more uh, election cycle. Do you think the leadership right now has what it takes to uh, take this next Republican Congress and really push back against this regime? 
I think they, I think they have what it takes to take it. I'm a little bit concerned about all those that all, all that other stuff that goes on that you were talking about, like the impeaching. I will say the one thing about impeaching Joe Biden that worries me a little bit. I'm not necessarily a fan of that, considering I don't really want. I think Kamala Harris is a person that's completely separated from reality. When you yeah. see when her talk and when you see her go out there, she talks about equity in every other sentence, and I don't think she really understands what the word means to this point. But it's the space. That I, I will say one thing. I think. The, <laughs> I think Mc, I think McConnell I think McConnell's going to probably stay in charge of the Senate no yeah. matter what happens but I think what he's most afraid of and I think who he's the, and the reason for this is clear I think he's afraid of Blake Masters. Yes. I think Blake Masters is like the smartest guy, he's the most together. If he gets into Congress, he's going to stay. He's got great ideas and he's got maybe he might have one of the like the hardest wins in the of the Senate to get. Yep. But if there's any guy that can actually really, you know, galvanize the base and also come in with real arguments that are intelligent, I think that he's the guy. So I think that's I think that's something that why McConnell's like been hesitant to give funds to these guys like Blake Masters and JD. And the reality is why not? I mean, you can't be the Senate majority leader forever. Like eventually you're going to either die or pass it on. <laughs> so yeah. like it's it's like <laughs> you're gonna do everything you can to like bury the party. I mean, and he started to give out a little bit of money, so I can't give him too much too hard a time about it. But that's something that I've always thought was a massive. Uh, that that the, so the Senate's gonna be the real interesting piece, and then it's gonna be is Biden gonna start vetoing everything we put out? Are we gonna have to start working with Biden? Are we gonna start having a war between our own sides that we're like people that refuse to get the government funded in any capacity to like but to get Biden the state something but then you know it's it's gonna be i think it's gonna be real bloody at first yeah and too. i'm interested to see some real real leadership and i don't know personally if the leadership from the house or the senate this can really unite as well as they need to like they're gonna need to they're gonna need the support of marjorie they're gonna need to have the support of matt gates and guys like that like they're gonna need those guys and troy like they're gonna make yep. they need to make arguments that work that can also get up through the Senate, depending on how many seats we get of real of real Republicans in the Senate. And that's it's going to be it's going to be a, it's going to be a slow process. I think, I think that the number one thing, border funding will be hopefully the thing they can get through. I don't know about the rest, though. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to see about that. I mean, we have a lot of people who uh, well, s- several who have been endorsed by the House Freedom Caucus that we're hoping get invited for full membership. I'm looking for them to add at least a dozen House candidates in this next election cycle of reals that want to go in there and actually do stuff and sit on committees and be firebrands up in Congress. In addition, to that you talk about funding there's a lot of people i mean some people that have already worked in congress or well up on capitol hill in the white house max miller who said like listen if we're not going to get this border secure if we're not going to get more funding for more agents we don't care about drones and fences like all that stuff's important but if the border's not shut down and they're not you know giving some relief to those people who have been getting absolutely crushed down there for the next two years Department of Homeland Security is not getting funded. So, you know, we could see at least partial government shutdowns uh, due to Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas' reckless policies moving forward. But that's neither here nor there. We still got to worry about the next 21 days and what happens on November 8th. JW, this has been awesome seeing now with you again. We have to get you back in here again in November, hopefully before Thanksgiving. We'll talk about everything that happened following the midterms and what the perspective of, uh, you know, the next U.S. Congress looks like. In addition to everything else that's going on, if you want to tell us where we can find you on social media, we'll live link it in the show description today. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Joel W. Gibbons V, at Joel W. Gibbons V. And I just want to say, I, I've, I always have a great time with y'all. And one of these days, I'm hoping I can come sit down in there with y'all. Hell yeah. I don't know about anytime soon, but, you know, eventually we're going to have to make that happen. 
Oh, we certainly will. We've got a mic for you right there. Cold beers in the fridge, and of course, always steak on the grill. So uh, we'll, we'll be looking to sit down with you again in November. And uh, love don't forget, all. Don't forget Patriot cigars. Oh yeah, that that as well. That's only in between segments. You're doing a lot of great work over at the Daily Caller, and we really appreciate it. JW Gibbons, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thank y'all for having me. Hope y'all hope we win this thing, and I hope when we come back, we're celebrating. Absolutely. The European Union has not really worked out well for Europe. We'll know the details this winter when people are freezing. So naturally, the Biden administration wants to create something very much like that in North America, an EU-style government. The Mexican president, AMLO, says that Tony Blinken, our Secretary of State, just proposed that idea. Watch this. I think that Mr. Blinken spoke about consolidating the region of North America. And we agree on that. We are also in favor of a unity of the entire American continent, like the way the first European community emerged and converted into the European Union. That's what we want. Oh, so we're going to merge with Mexico in the middle of the most brutal drug war in its history. Mexico is effectively run by the cartels at this point, but we're going to merge with the cartels. Okay. Perfect. No one noticed this, really. Florida Congressman Matt Gates noticed it. He sent a letter today to Tony Blinken asking, what is this? He joins us tonight to tell us what he's heard back. Congressman, thanks so much for noticing this and for asking what it means. What does it mean and did you get an answer? It means that the globalist left wants a homogenized North America yep. because they don't think that much of the United States of America in the first place. I haven't gotten an answer, but it begs the question, why are we so friendly with Mexico anyway? They've cooked up more death in the Mexican mountains than any crazy mad scientist in Wuhan would have ever thought of. And Got it's em. hard to tell where the cartels end and the government of Mexico begins. They had a That's former right. president take a $100 million bribe from Sinaloa. They had a former defense chief, function as the muscle for the cartel, one yep. of their state-level attorneys general, sentenced to 20 years in the United States of America. But while they're sleepwalking to a war with Russia, they are actually surrendering American sovereignty to Mexico. And Canada's not much better. I don't want my constituents having to live under the socialist, tyrannical lockdowns enacted by Justin Trudeau Castro while their <laughs> nephew's being poisoned by Mexican fentanyl. But that apparently is the globalist order that the Biden administration supports here as they give away our money and our chance of a brighter future overseas. Of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Mexican cartels have killed multiples, many, many more Americans than Al-Qaeda ever did. Yep. And we fought multiple wars over that. Congressman Matt Gates, I appreciate your following up on that when everyone else is ignoring it. Thank you. So? Thank you. He's not wrong, but yeah, those high-level meetings were going on last week. I mean, we're not near rolling out that new policy. But what, so what's the end game with that? That we just... Uh, no, like on paper, like what are they saying Like, is the end result? United States, Mexico, and Canada turning into like a uh, Western Hemisphere version of the European Union. That sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that would be like buying a house in the shittiest part of town you could possibly have and then saying, hey, do you guys want to like connect the walls together and we can just all be one? Oh, well... Will you guys not shoot up drugs in my living room? <laughs> oh, shoot, shoot you are. Floors. Oh, you are. Stop, please. No. But we all have matching passports. I mean, at least the Canadians only brought maple syrup. <laughs> and COVID lockdowns? Well, you know, nobody's perfect. That's true. Why <laughs> did Trudeau Castro? Yeah, so he, he hit just about everybody there, even singer Dr. Fauci. So, you know, 
get staying in the thread here of things he, they did talk about sleepwalking to World War Three with Russia, and yeah. and those stem back to the comments that Joe Biden made recently talking about nuclear Armageddon and how he so casually brushed them off. Um, believe it or not, today KJP was asked um, about those remarks, and Noah, you're going to be wearing out the button this segment. Mm. Listen to this one. Is it that the president was talking about nuclear Armageddon behind closed doors to political donors two weeks ago? Yep. Rather than speaking directly with the American people about that topic? Well, there was press, your colleagues, there were a few of your colleagues that were in the room. Well, given the severity and the significance of that threat, isn't that something that the president should perhaps Well, we've address? talked about, we... Or should, should I mean, but there was, there was again, there was press in the room. It's not like he was say, he was not saying it in secret. He knew that the press was in the room uh, at the time when he was making Did the comments. He? Look, the president, we've talked about this. This is like two weeks ago conversation. We, oh. we, we've talked about this in, in detail oh. about how seriously oh. Oh. Uh, we take uh, Putin's saber rattling. Oh. So nuclear Armageddon, <laughs> how dare you ask it today? That's so he two weeks obviously ago. knew. That the press was in the room while he was wandering around lost. No, listen, that's just a two weeks ago. That's so two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> How many weeks ago was January 6th? Mm. I don't want to. <laughs> it's funny you ask that. So, so there's been some interesting commentary coming from Kanye West recently. Uh, the legacy media, especially on the progressive side, has tried to tie it to Donald Trump because he made some comments last week talking to, well, the entirety of the Jewish population in the United States. American and, Jews. Yes. Be, how, people. <laughs> how they don't go as hard as the Jews that live in Israel. Obviously, there's a lot of different reasons for that and a lot of different theories that you could apply. But for not having um, a press conference in six days and only the fourth one of the month today, believe it or not, this is how they led off calling on questions at the White House presser. Thank you. Um, I wanted to start by asking, is the president aware of the comments that Donald Trump made yesterday about American Jews uh, basically saying that they're ungrateful and they better get their act together, appreciate what they have before it's too late? Given that the White House weighed in pretty uh, forcefully last week to the racist comments by the Los Angeles City Council members, would the White House um, denounce uh, these anti-Semitic comments by the former president as well? So Donald Trump's comments were anti-Semitic, as you all know, mm. and insulting, both to Jews and to our Israeli allies. But let's be clear, for years, for years now, Donald Trump has aligned with extremists and anti-Semitic figures. Oh, and it so should be it should be called out, to your point, Darlene, just like we called out our Democratic uh, friends and colleagues last week, and we will condemn and call this out as well. So we need to root out anti-Semitism everywhere. It rears its ugly head. We need to call this out. With respect to Israel, our relationship is ironclad, and it's rooted in shared values and interests. Donald Trump clearly doesn't understand that either. Okay. Uh, just to follow up on that, it was announced earlier today that the rapper formerly known as Kanye West wants to buy a this winner's wearing. conservative social media wow. platform Parler. It's like a 10-gallon mask. Um, <laughs> and this comes after he was kicked off of Twitter and Instagram last week for his own set of anti-Semitic comments. Is the White House or the president concerned that uh, should this sale go ahead and that 
Ye be allowed to buy this platform, yeah. that it will give him a, another venue for anti-Semitic comments, hateful comments, with no, you know, no gatekeeper, no one to say that's wrong or anything like that. So as you know, when it comes to these types of purchases uh, or agreements, I can't speak to that. Oh, good for you. Uh, so that's I'm sure you will, though. The that's actual, her circle back. You know, uh, agreement yeah. or inter interaction, I can't speak to that. But nope. what I can speak to nope. is hateful rhetoric. Mm. What I can speak to uh, is insulting rhetoric. When I can't, what I can't speak, can speak to is anti-Semitism. Oh, yeah? Well, so why don't you ask the squad about their anti-Semitism? <laughs> Al Sharpton and the rest of the others in their party. Come on, man. He called out a specific group of people. It's just like, it's like, it's the same shit as me calling out fake Catholics like Biden. <laughs> Come on, dude. No, it's, it's, it's the truth. And man, so well, it's, I mean, we're going to talk way. about <clears throat> white supremacy and... Anti-Semitism and abortion. Azov Battalion. There you go. The National Corpse Party in Ukraine. It's just so like That's just saying. <laughs> just imagine time machine 10, 15 years ago. So you have like, let me just give you like a visual of what that looked like. So you had the lady who was asking the question was an African-American gal. Mm -hmm. She was wearing, like Noah said, a 10-gallon N95 mask. She was the only one mm -hmm. in the White House presser wearing one. And then you have... Um, when your mask is that big, there's face. a reason she for it. Nobody see <laughs> right. Then you have black African-American female, uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre, daughter of immigrants, fielding <laughs> the questions. Let me tell you something. There's not a person on this planet who I can go in a time machine 10 years ago and tell them that's what the scenario looks like. And they will be talking shit about Kanye West and they would fucking believe me. They probably know, just, it's amazing. They, oh, yeah. They'd probably just I start beating my ass, you know, like <laughs> you could literally be like, mm -hmm. guess what? I'm a time traveler. I'm doing Vegas odds on this shit. And you'd be a millionaire. No, Tri yeah. trillionaire. You'd be able to, <laughs> you'd be able to pay back the 31 border walls. Mm. If only I could like go back in time, I've always thought. <laughs> yes. Imagine you'd be the freaking Nostra dumbass and just like I know right? all this stuff that's gonna happen. They're like, "Fuck you!" I'll train fifty-five. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's a sports almanac. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, inflation is something that have just absolutely been crushing the American people. We are gonna oh, get. I thought to you were gonna say it brings us all together. It's the space that brings us together. <laughs> I love it. Um, it's that space in your wallet that brings us all together. Well, we're going to stick with KGAP, but we're going to infuse a little bit of Ducey, who hasn't been allowed to ask a lot of questions lately, but he was back in the last two days. Let's hear it. Since economic advisors told him that the general consensus now is that the American Rescue Plan has contributed to inflation. Look. Secretary um, Yellen, who is incredibly well-respected, as you Should know, in the last year. Uh, yeah. economic space has spoken to this. So I will leave her words, uh, speak to that, to the, to, to the statement that you just made. Here's the thing. What the president has done, the issues that he has worked on, when you think about Medicare, you think about health care, you think about energy costs, you think about Inflation Reduction Act, uh, you think about the CHIPS Act, they it's are popular. They are popular with the American people. Over. They understand. The American people understand what these pieces of legislation that, that we have worked so hard to get across the line that are now law is going to change, change the lives of American people. Now, 
is there work is there work work to be done there's always more work to be yeah, done of course there is. but we are mm. making that's the work that brings us together the steps to do that again congressional republicans they are doing nothing absolutely nothing they want to repeal they want to take away the advances that we have made go ahead yeah they sure do <laughs> go ahead go ahead go ahead you go ahead your turn I kind of miss Miss Circle back. <laughs> no, it's good. That, it's good that she's where she's at now, shitting on her own team. No, that's great. That's because sure. that is just fucking priceless. Well, I'm not looking. I mean, they put her through fucking hell. <laughs> she, she I guarantee through. she's got a golden parachute to match. Well, yeah, she got her own show on MSNBC. Yeah, and sponsors and. They're like, take all this crap and we'll reward you in the I just can't believe the like, hey, this chick just left. We took care of her. Do you wanna do you wanna have her job? And KJP's like, Yeah, it sounds like a great idea. I wish it was that simple, but these people have all been operating inside the West Wing since the Obama administration. They know exactly what they were doing. They probably thought they gave the American public too much with Jen Psaki, so they gave like a, a really redacted version of her with Karine Jean-Pierre and prepare her even less than Jen. I mean, there was Yeah, because least- this one, she's literally not going to say anything yeah. except what you told her to say. And even then, she's just going to repeat the same thing over and over again. Which well, looks... Go ahead. And the entertainment value. Yes. Oh, no, yeah, the, definitely the shock value, which feeds right into when you ask follow-up questions that, you know, when do we think we'll be feeling the effects of the Inflation Reduction Act? Not the ones we're currently feeling, but the ones that the government said we'd be feeling, which is relief. We're not getting any of that. But who thinks that Joe Biden's doing who? a good job on inflation in the economy? Let's hear it. Exactly thinks the president is doing a good job on inflation because we've got a new poll that finds he receives his lowest job ratings on inflation, net negative 38 points. We understand that there are challenges that are uh, in front of us here in this country. That is why the president has taken action to lower costs. Hmm. Think about gas prices. No. You think about health care, no. uh, health care uh, premiums. You think about Medicare again, beating special interests so that we can lower costs. So Medicare can actually be able to lower costs for senior God. citizens. When you think about all of these steps that he has taken, to make sure that that is happening. Republicans, Republicans in Congress refuse. They refuse to be partners with us on this. They refuse to help us. You think about the American Rescue Plan that has helped create an economy that is indeed resilient, that created jobs. They refuse to help. Guys, they refuse. I'm paying $7.50 a gallon for grass-fed milk for my kid, and he drinks a lot of milk. Shut the hell up. <laughs> we, we just... Yeah. Like, for real? It's like epic gaslighting at this point. Yeah, she just reads back the talking points and say Republicans have no plans to work with them or to, uh, you know, offer up any other plausible situations when that's not the truth. Well, like... Helping you launder money into your pockets, assholes. Yeah, we, we've seen, you know, I saw a, a study come out yesterday that, that was a comparative analysis of the current uh, economy. Under Joe Biden, the average 401k plan is down about $34,000, more than 25% per American in just the last year. Well, I mean, I, I don't even want to look at my, my investment portfolio. Mm, I looked at mine yesterday. Makes me stick to my stomach. <laughs> Trying to ride out this storm. What's your uh, negative PFP? No, I don't even want to know. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it. 
Oh, that's okay. You guys heard uh, Joe Biden talk about how the economy was doing. Well, actually, he didn't. He just talked about that, you know, he didn't really care about our economy. He cares about the world. While he was, uh, you know, telling us how much he hates our guts with a mouthful of ice cream over the weekend. Did you guys catch that one? Mm. Yeah, he, he was rolling deep with a uh, waffle cone full of chalky chalky chip. And uh, Good job, Joe. Well, let's hear it. One more economic question. Are you concerned about the strength of the dollar right now? <laughs> I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Can you explain that? Yes. Uh, our economy is telling us how. The internal. Inflation is worldwide, worse off everywhere else in the United States. So the problem is the lack of economic growth, sound policy in other countries, not so much ours. And that's a worldwide inflation that's consequential. And he's just as bad as the talking points as well. I don't- he should be worried about the fucking U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar is what plunges the fucking rest of the world into chaos. Yeah, uh, His talking points were, I don't care about the U.S. dollar. The U.S. economy is strong as hell. It is Th- not. This is a global issue, and, and that's what's negatively affecting the dollar. The only thing he didn't say was Putin's war, which would have been, pun intended, the cherry on top. Mm. What do you think, Antoinette? You like hearing the 46th president get down with uh, some chalky chalky chip and a waffle cone and tell you how things aren't really that expensive and you're just uh, exaggerating? <laughs> Oh man, clown show, clown show, clown show. That is ridiculous. Well, we haven't yeah. wore out the garrison button yet, but we're definitely going to because Peter Ducey just asked a follow up question to that ice cream related commentary. Let's hear it. He's been working on the economy every day for 19 months. Now, Bloomberg economists are forecasting a 100% chance of a recession. So, how is it that <laughs> we can be barreling towards a recession? Uh, and the economy is, as the president says, strong as hell. Mm. So here's the thing about the economy, and I've said this many times. You've heard this from Secretary Yellen. You've heard this from Brian Deese, who mm. runs our economic council. I've heard it is from that Mr. Garrison. What we are seeing right now is the job market is strong. Oh. The labor force is strong. Oh. And that is not what we see usually before uh, before a recession. Oh. And so the and a lot of that is because of the work that this president has done. We, we are seeing an, an economy that is resilient. Uh, we are seeing an economy uh, that is going through to into a transition uh, with more stable growth, more st- steady growth. And that is because of the work that this president has done. That is Didn't because she say that already? of the yeah. economic policy that he has put forward. And let me remind you, the economic policy that he's put forward is about building the economy from the bottom to, to uh, from the bottom to the top and the middle out. And that is so important because it means that we leave no one behind. It means that there's equity at Except everything the middle that class. Equity. Uh, puts forward. And so, again, you're going to hear from the president about gas prices. That's, again, trying to make sure that we continue to keep prices low for the American people. Oh. Scissor me timbers. We got to talk about booming jobs when it's like people getting two, three fucking jobs yeah. so they can survive. We got to start playing <laughs> White House press conference bingo now. Mm. She did drop an equity. I don't feel like we're going to get a Putin's war today, though. I feel like the equity is just going to have to be the free space, though. Oh, I like that. So, well, believe it or not, Joe Biden has already announced his uh, schedule for the week, and it will end early with him heading up to, uh, well, back to his vacation home where he usually ends his week in 
for as many narratives as you already covered, the prospectus of nuclear war, the tanking economy, um, ice cream, obviously, and equity, how can you even think about doing anything that's not work-related this close to a midterm election where it looks like every day the numbers get worse for the Democrat Party? Well, believe it or not, they asked, and uh, let's hear what you had to say. Um, the president has called this the most significant election, or one of the most significant elections, uh, with abortion rights, voting rights being on the ballot, and a lot of the games you touted from the from the podium. Um, and you know he's spending this weekend at his vacation home in in Rehoboth, according to the schedule you guys released. I wonder if you can talk about the calculus there, 16 days before the election, especially during a year when you guys have said Biden would be getting out into the country more, touting the gains that you guys have made. So last week we spent four days of, in the country, right? We left on Wednesday, came back Saturday night. To be more specific, 2 a.m. on Sunday. Some of us walked into our house at 2 a.m. on Sunday. Stop um, it. And the week before that, he spent four days uh, out into the country. Uh, some of that was, yes, for the hurricane in Puerto Rico uh, and uh, going to see the recovery there. Uh, uh, another day was in Florida to talk to the American people uh, who were uh, Floridians who were in um, who were most affected by the hurricane there. Uh, so he's been around. He just went to Colorado. He just went to California. He just went to Portland. We're going to go to Pennsylvania. We're going to go to Florida. And uh, we'll have more to share. Um, the president takes this very seriously. Again, I want to be very careful. There is the Hatch Act. I am restricted on what I can say from the podium and from mm. here. Uh, mm. But the president takes what he has done um, in this time during his presidency is his tenure, it's about 20 months tenure, very yeah. seriously, and uh, wants to talk about what he has done, what Demo congressional Democrats have Guys, done to deliver for the American oh. people. Uh, you mentioned the hearing aids, as I just uh, uh, talked about just moments ago. Uh, so yes, there is a lot at stake when you think about the national ban Wait, uh, on abortion that, that Republicans, uh, extreme Republicans want to do, taking away the rights of women, uh, taking away a decision that is very difficult for women to make. Uh, when you think about what Republicans want to do with repealing the Inflation Reduction Act, which is going to lower cost or take away cost no. uh, of what sure we were it. talking about with lowering costs on health care, lowering costs uh, from on, for, because of Mer Medicare, uh, being able to negotiate when it comes to fighting special interests, they want to take that away. Uh, so the president is going to continue to talk about that. Uh, again, we were just out west for four days. Uh, and so we're going to continue uh, to go out there, and the president's going to continue to talk directly to the American people. Mm. What do you think about that one? So you, you heard hearing aids, again, pun intended. So we all know that Donald Trump lowered the cost of insulin to its lowest since it's been ridiculously overpriced, and that's like, what, $35 a pop mm -hmm. uh, in the course of the Trump presidency. So we also know that Joe Biden repealed that act on day one and then later wrote an executive order lowering the prices, still more expensive than when Donald Trump uh, lowered the prices, but lowered mm -hmm. it to a more cost-effective you know, purchasing price for people that need it. So... During the Trump presidency, there was a Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas, sponsored mm. bill talking about doing the same thing for hearing aids. Donald Trump actually bought into it, and then she's gone on record saying that's literally the only thing she's ever agreed with Donald Trump politically about. And, and they got that out there, but it was tied into some of the uh, legislation that was you know repealed when Joe Biden repealed the insulin stuff. So again, Joe Biden went and wrote a second executive order making hearing aids more affordable and now is taking a victory lap on that as well, even though Donald Trump literally did both of those things during his presidency. Good job. 
Yeah, you can't make it up. You can't. Uh, just to... I mean, you've heard that White House press conference. They talked about repealing the Inflation Reduction Non-Reduction Act. They talked about abortion. They talked about how hard this president's working. It bounces back, depending on the day, between 19 and 20 months. And uh, really shows what, um, you know, a failing regime looks like. Ronna McDaniel, who's been doing the rounds for all the Trump-endorsed candidates, I, I do have to give her credit, in addition to her amazing weight loss hmm. and minor plastic surgery, she has been stumping for a lot of the America First Trump-endorsed candidates. She jumped on Fox Business yesterday, and uh, I pulled a short clip of her. Let's hear it. The president claims that, uh, that inflation gets worse if the Republicans win. Why don't you deal with that? You know, I think he's dealing with the stages of grief, and he's in the <laughs> denial phase. He's in the denial phase because we know the midterms are coming. We're about to take over the House. We're going to win the Senate. And he's trying to do anything he can. It's flailing. Let me just tell people it's going to get worse with Republicans when it's gotten so bad under Democrats. Excellent point. That's kind of the point we made, uh, which, you know, canvases the entirety of the last two days of White House press briefings, uh, to say the least. In our last audio clip of the day, Tucky was on last night and gave a pretty stern Warning slash perspectives of what the next now 21 days, 22 last night looks like. Midterm elections are always and everywhere a referendum on the party in power. That's true. That's true this year, too. But this year, they are not just that. They're more than that. In just 22 days, Americans will have the chance to render judgment on the unprecedented moral atrocities our leadership class has committed over the past two years. <laughs> I like that. The mm. shameless lying, the arrogance, the stupidity, the total incompetence. The unfairness, the relentless and vicious racism toward the majority of the American population. Yep. All of which together amount to, yes, attacks on democracy itself. If you believed in democracy, you would not act like this. No one has ever run a developed country with this degree of recklessness. The question is, is anyone ever going to be punished for it? That's what's really on the ballot this November 8th. So for Republicans, the election should be easy. Not that you should ever for a second underestimate their ability to screw it up anyway. They may. But the template for success is right in front of them. Just run against Joe Biden. There may be people out there who feel sorry for Joe Biden, but there's absolutely nobody who thinks or can argue with a straight face that he's doing a good job because he's not. So just say that. You're not the Biden candidate. Run on the economy and crime. Homelessness, it's everywhere. Have you noticed? Fentanyl and on what Joe Biden has done to our southern border. Stick to the obvious issues and you're probably going to win. How could you not? Surveys show that voters care most about inflation, jobs and immigration. As it turns out, those are exactly the issues, according to a recent Harvard-Harris poll, that voters also believe are the top priorities of the Republican Party. So this is a moment Republicans rarely see. It's a moment where there's total alignment between their priorities and the priorities of the electorate. Again, that doesn't happen very often. That same poll, if you dig a little deeper, shows that voters believe Democrats, by contrast, are fixated above all on January 6th. Oh, yeah, January 6th, the QAnon insurrection. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? He's right. The connective tissue before the diversity of this entire group of America First candidates across the board, the men, the women, the people that come from different social and ethnic religious backgrounds, all have kind of created the perfect storm around how this administration, this regime has tanked this country and literally the rest of the world in not even two years time. 
there are literally no excuses. Yeah. For people that listen to this and for listen to others, Tucker on a regular basis, maybe if you're more of a legacy media person, you only tune into us for a little bit of the garrison button. No waiting. No. Not even a little bit? Nope. We didn't get a fully today. Yeah, we did. Are you sure? Yep. What about the second one? What about the second garrison? Mm-hmm. Oh, scissor me timbers. There we go. But but the fact of the matter is, if if you like, you know, if you're in the war room posse and you also enjoy us because obviously we're funnier and we have you know a little bit more candid conversations with a lot of the guests that we seem to share on a regular basis. I have no idea why if I didn't tease them at the end of the show and for some reason they magically appear on their day of or day after. <laughs> so weird. Um, but. There's no excuse. If you're not out there, if you're not registered to vote, if you're not encouraging people who you don't know are into politics or not, your casual friends who you talk, maybe you talk about gaming, maybe you talk about, you know, fishing and hunting and stuff like that. Maybe you talk about sports, but you really don't talk about politics. Probably time to see where their, like, political compass and ideologies line up because 21 days from now, we have the opportunity to do something that's never been done before and uh, really get this nation course corrected, which in turn will hopefully get the rest of the world back on track because it seems like people are just looking for leadership somewhere. I read today that they're already looking to sack the brand new prime minister of England. She's only been in power for like a fucking month and they already can't stand all the stuff that she's doing. And they, they would even want Boris Johnson back. It's just ridiculous. The referendum that, uh, you know, the regular people who are being affected by these completely drunk at the wheel policies of everyone across the world right now in power uh, is just seeing, I, I was really pleased to see that, uh, um, you know, the president of, Brazil is coming out over 50% now percentages. They're in a runoff election. We've just had a, a switching of the, the PM in Italy, Sweden's, who now runs a more national progressive government than the United States ever has, uh, announced their president was, was sworn in today. And we're at such a critical point in time. Poll watching, uh, election integrity. I've seen so many people online sitting outside of drop boxes in their cars when they have free time and just waiting for people to come up to see if they're doing shady shit so they can sure. report it to the authorities. You're literally got the Democrats on their heels in every way, shape, or form. They can't even use their own historically popular talking points to get Republican candidates in debates anymore. And it's in three weeks away. We just got to really just put our heads down and take on whatever kind of grunt uh, and, and and bear the load of what the Democrats and, and the legacy media and the print press and everyone out there who doesn't want, you know, Donald Trump and these candidates to have success on November 8th and just get the work done. Antoinette, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that this is one of the most important elections of our life. It's like, I, I really think that people need to understand that. It's, almost, it's more important than the next election, the <clears throat> general election, you know? Yeah, because we can't get things done if we don't have the people already in Congress. We saw what that experiment looked like in 2016 and then got referendum for not doing the job with all the bad actors already in Congress in the 2018 midterm. So, you know, as we're rolling along now and uh, continuing to bring you guys the news, the narrative, the most impactful stories and best guests, we'll just keep it rolling. And uh, I'm pretty sure that we're looking good come November 8th. Not a bad way to start the week. What do you think, team? Fully back together again at such a critical juncture for our country. Can't think of any better way to start it. Yeah, I missed you, Antoinette. Where you been? <laughs> yeah, she's just hanging out. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, if you like this one and all of the political commentary we bring you, a little bit of a comedic spin, you can check out the other 178 editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podata, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, 
Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app or even on Frank's speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Don't forget to leave a review and download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Friends, when you throw some of your hard-earned cash in these hard economical times at our partners, the only thing you do is help make small American businesses great again, namely MyPillow. The FBI might not enjoy them, but we sure do. When you enter promo code STEAK at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings. If you like stuff uh, to make your bed great again, mypillow.com forward slash steak. Maybe the morning's a little my coffee, mystore.com forward slash steak. Or you talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear, the best damn headphones I've ever owned. If you're in the studio and you're doing anything, you want to be legit, got to take care of those ears. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. The Patriot Cigar Company. And a promo code stick at checkout there. You're going to get 15% off your total order. All orders over $100. Free shipping. And a $10 e-gift card with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use West website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. I'm counting the days right now. There you go. Hopefully less than the, uh, well, clickety-clackety. Mm. Soon you'll be... Gackety? thought that one was definitely garrison worthy there you go stay ready your holster speaking of which noah's probably going to need a new one soon but i'm not saying anything conclusive uh if you want a picture of let's see well just how about kareen jean pierre with the caption we've done a very you know a lot of good work for the american people in the last 19 or 20 months they'll put it on a kydex conceal carry holster and get those orders out faster than ever before can they put some orange felt over the top of it i like that stay ready is the website you can find them on facebook and instagram as well Man rubs. No man rubs yet this week. Maybe tonight. Just thinking about buying some chicken and man rubbing it up. I'm finishing up my chicken that's left over. Oh, there you go. But uh, when I do, I'll have uh, bought it, shook it, sprinkled it, rubbed it, thrown it in the cooking apparatus of my choice, and at some point directly into my mouth. Num, num, num. Oh. <laughs> Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like everything they've got in their store. You're going to like their Instagram a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, Dumpbox.us, home of the Zero Fucks Duck. You can check them out on Instagram. You can check them out on Facebook. Upcoming shows, we're going to be back on Friday. We got Paige Willie, Sue Kiley, Theo Wold. We're going to have a lot of commentary there. And then Congressional House Candidate, Michigan 3, one of our favorites, owner of the biggest Jesus piece in this entire congressional race, Mr. John Gibbs will be here. Alina Habben, Boris Epstein will be in on the 25th of October. Senatorial candidate out of Connecticut, Trump endorsed Leora Levy will be here on the 28th. In addition to her, the Daily Caller, Sarah Weaver, and Ambassador Rick Grinnell and Maryland, Trump endorsed gubernatorial candidate Dan Cox will be in on November 1st. Friends of the week, who we got? Well, everybody from our True Social Twitch streamer crew, Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitty, Real Lazy Boss, American Nintendo Suitcase, CSM Master, Burger Man. Some of our other true social friends, Indiana Zoomer, Jason E. Van Gundy, some call me Tim79, and Thomas Bama. Ghost Hammer, can't ever forget him. Can't forget 13 Gen Patriot either. We're going to do everybody from Con Ed Twitter in the Republican High Command. Been having some great conversations with those guys interacting with, uh, let's see, we got Jake J.R. Majewski's in there, Blake Masters is in there, a whole bunch of uh, Crispies in there as well, and then some of our meme team. Let's go, Brenda. Uh, mostly Peaceful, Sanchez Memes, John Hacker LA, The Real Meme DeLorean, Grand Old Memes, Madam America. 
I think that's it for this week. Guys, thanks for remember between now and next show. Number one, do your own research. Gave you a lot of info today. A lot more than KJP usually gives from the White House podium. Uh, just do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Here's a little listy. Not bad. I like it. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We don't talk about it enough. It's time. And number four, let's see what happens. This has been episode 179 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We're hurtling towards 200 with episode 170, or actually 180 on Friday. We'll have Paige Willie, John Gibbs, Sue Kylie, and Theo Wold. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan Noah. Later. Antoinette in spirit. Ciao, guys. Thanks for listening, and take care. Joshua won't go home. She stepped in the other room to answer the phone. Your king. No, we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. A self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes... Oh, there get... you go, bringing class into it again. That's what it's all about. If only people would... Please, feel... please, good people. I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. What? I told you, we're an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Order? Who does he think he is? (laughs) I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, how do you become king, then? The Lady of the Lake, her arm clad in the purest shimmering Samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! Oh, but you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! Oh, but if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away! Shut up! Will you shut up? Ah, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh. Come and see the violence inherent in the system! Help! Help! I'm being repressed!